Were you thin? I was as thin as I could be. Were you still big, I though? Not, I was still big, but that was the skinniest I've ever been. And that's coming from somebody who was only eating somewhat salads that are just fruit and lettuce and water and maybe ice right before a practice. <laughs> that was Janet Yellen describing what? her... Uh, her fiscal policy uh it's it, somehow it still doesn't work welcome everybody to another episode of liberty lockdown we are live i don't do this very often because i don't plan in advance because my life is incredibly hectic uh but we got a, a great panel today we're going to talk about how bitcoin fixes the apocalypse i don't know if it does but uh if if i can be convinced by three men it'll be these three we got svetsky guy Svon, guy Svon, i call him Svon. <laughs> <from> germany <laughs> and shane hazel are you guys uh, the, fun? <laughs> a, a, an entirely German panel. Uh, for for my audience that's not familiar, let's go let's go around the, the bend and uh, we'll start with Shane. Let the audience know who you guys are. Hi, I'm Shane Hazel. I uh, run the Bitcoin Veterans Podcast along with Radical. I am um, an account executive over at Swan Bitcoin, uh, and generally just a, a homesteader, homeschooler, all that fun stuff. Trying to get out of the damn matrix as, as fast as I can and take everybody with me. Love it, guy. Yeah. What's up? I'm uh, Guy Swan, host of Bitcoin Audible and AI Unchained. Um, I'm the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Uh, and that's what I do. I, I have been barreling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole for like 12 years and there's I'm, there's no hope for me. I'm, I'm lost. I'm done. <laughs> that's fair. That's reasonable. Svetsky, what's up, man? What's up, buddy? Um, I, I, I'm the guy that's, I'm the asshole that's telling Shane not to bring everyone with him, just to bring the useful people. Fuck all the idiots. <laughs> I'll Literally. start there then. I'll start there's there not, then. There's not enough room for all the idiots. So I'm I'm the uh, Shane's voice of reason. There well, we there's also there's also not enough Bitcoin for all the idiots. So I guess that works out. Uh, no, I, I actually that's a good that's an interesting place to start it. Um, I, I think about that a lot. You know, I think about how oftentimes like the the broader LP movement, the Libertarian Party, they'll talk about setting the world free in our lifetimes. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I have no interest in trying to set the world free. I'm, I'm just trying to set Florida free. I'm not even interested in the entire United States. Um, is that, is that kind of your mentality is like, we're not going to reach everybody. We just gotta, we gotta, uh, try and embrace those that are, are capable of being embraced. Hundred percent. You don't you don't speak to sheep. You you speak to lions, and some lions are sleeping. And and this is where people get um, they they get confused. So a couple of years ago, I wrote this uh, essay that went and did the rounds in the Bitcoin space called "Bitcoiners of the Remnant," and it was kind of built off a. Um, it was inspired by an old essay from the '30s by Albert Nock called "Isaiah's Job," and it, it triggered a lot of people because I just bluntly, flat out said, "The masses don't matter." Um, you know, they are the fucking inertia that comes after the, you know, the, the people who actually make the change. And, you know, I got called elitist, Klaus Schwab spawn, like all sorts of weird shit. <laughs> I was like, did you read the article? Like, my point was that, you know, human history is defined by the few excellent people, the ones that uh, actually change the course, like the, the, the ones who are bold enough, courageous enough, excellent enough. Um, to do something about the situation and and you know by by definition the word excellent means a separation from the norm or a separation from from the average and you know my the whole essay revolved around this idea of the remnant and the remnant you know biblically speaking are the people who remain after the catastrophe and they don't remain just because they were lucky 
uh, although you know luck always you know is this kind of like cosmic constant that you can't control but you know they, they remained because they were the ones who were prepared had some foresight adopted a specific set of principles that enabled them to survive uh, whatever catastrophic apocalyptic fall there always was right so you know i i defined the bitcoin as the remnant as this idea of like look you know, everyone's walking around, and this was 2021 when I wrote it, you know, wearing masks, you know, they're preparing, they're preparing for their, you know, subscription jab and, you know, all the other things that come with it. I said, these, these fucking monkeys are just like inside, um, you know, eating Netflix, being keyboard warriors and wearing 18 masks. Like I said, civilization is going to bifurcate into like, you know, those of us who refuse to do any of that stuff, who are out there getting sunshine, lifting weights, like establishing, you know, sovereignty, homeschooling, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, that's the people you want to focus on. And there are some people you're just not going to wake up no matter what you say. Like Bitcoin is not for them. You know, freedom is not for them. Like they, they just and, you know, this is a Nietzschean idea. They have just slavery in their blood. You can't fucking change that. I'm sorry. It's, it's harsh. It sounds bad. But do not waste your time and you know this essay also was littered with a bunch of you know sort of matrix-esque quotes and you know matrix is a little bit cringy sometimes but one of the i think the more profound things that was sort of said in the room uh, in the in the matrix was this idea that you can't just unplug everybody you know the, the and most people are so inured so attached to the system that they'll try and hold on to it forget about them forget about them fuck them let them let them drown in their own squalor you just move on, do your own thing. There's no point in you drowning with the fuckers. So anyway. pretty, pretty Darwinian, but I have to say it also makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I want to add way, to that. Yeah, yeah. Quick. I was, I was going to say, uh, let's, let's try and make this as conversational as possible. If if you have to step on somebody, step on somebody. Go ahead. <laughs> um, is uh, the, you know, the masses are followers. Like that's. Like one of the reasons the establishment has such inertia is because it's the thing that's not rocking the boat. It's it's when you aren't willing to stand up and make a situation uncomfortable, then that's exactly the same force that will result in them adopting Bitcoin when the tide turns. They'll adopt it because it will be the uncomfortable thing to attempt to not to, to, to resist it. And I think it will just reach that point. Saifedean actually had a really, really great analogy, and I loved this, um, was uh, we won't end up in a Bitcoin world because everybody's going to become, you know, like super orange-pilled, and they're going to understand sound money, and everybody's going to be Austrian economics and everything like that. Like, that's not why. That's never been the case in history. Like, in fact, like one of the things that I – one of the pieces I was going back through that I read, like – four years ago um, uh, on the show uh, just like struck with me because like at the, at the height, at the height of the support for the American Revolutionary War, it was only like 40% of people. Like generally throughout the entire thing, it was like a third, maybe even a little bit less. And it fluctuated a lot. In fact, 30% of the colonists were in support of, and many even fought for the British. Like, so you don't need a majority. You don't need the whole world. You know, you need a tr intransigent minority. Well, you me, need 10% of the that, people. Let me connect that dot to modern times. 30% yeah. of the people are unvaccinated. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, and what you need is a, an intolerant 
group that are meaningful, that can make their own fucking decisions, and who will hold the line, who who will let it get as uncomfortable as it possibly can get to stand for their principles, to stand for what they seek to accomplish um, or they seek to see. Um, And at the end of the day, I think the liberty just has... The principles are strong enough and well-defined enough that there's a massive amount of power to just simply to explaining something simply to mm-hmm. just to just explaining what's written on the wall to just say it the fuck out loud and i think there is a lot of that i think we're kind of in this place where people are finally saying out loud what everybody really knows and which is uncomfortable and nobody really wants to hear it or admit it but it's i don't even cool. want to say it you know, like <laughs> it makes um, me feel bad to like yeah. <laughs> spoil people's day. But uh, to your point, though, I, I actually tweeted this uh, late last or early this morning, mm-hmm. um, talking about how really what I've what I've I guess realized recently is that over the past decade or so, the the globalists have have really done a phenomenal job of controlling the narrative by just shaming anybody that noticed that they were taking immense amounts of power. And and by shaming, I mean labeling them as racist or homophobic or sexist or any of the, the standard labels. And you can just you can just tell that particularly those that are online a lot, like we're so inoculated to those terms. Like it just like it just doesn't do anything to me anymore. Yeah. Um, and even even with my you know defensive of the Palestinians as of late being called anti-Semitic, it just like doesn't do anything for me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, 8,000 kids just got blown to smithereens. You think that's going to stop me from speaking out on their behalf? Are you out of your fucking mind? Um, anyways, sorry, Shane. Go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, these people are, they're such weak people. And, and I mean that in every sense of the word, um, morally, spiritually, physically, they, they are, they're these people that, you know, maybe tried this stuff a little too early. And obviously we, we, we've just become numb to it at this point, to the point where anybody that's saying this kind of stuff is, is very easy to write off. And, you know, I'm going to acquiesce this. That's like, I, I, I totally agree. This is going to be one of those things where a lot of people get left behind. And maybe that's, you know, when I say, you know, I'm trying to bring as many people with me. Well, from my world, right. In my world, the small, yeah. um, yeah. you know, as, as I look at this on a daily basis, a lot of times what I'm doing is trying to, Hey, you know, do you know this? Do you understand this? Have you ever heard of this? And I'm reaching out to people that, you know, have been donors in the past, have been on, you know, lists that I have that I can actually sit there and go, that's a good person. That's a great person. That's a person that we could use in this fight. They just haven't been exposed to the knowledge or something like that yet. And I think there's a, there's a great, uh, I don't know if it's kind of this motivational speech or just a, you know, they caught uh, Dana White from the UFC, you know, talking about this is like it. There's never been an easier time for a guy or a girl, I guess, in, in this situation, to kind of stick out to 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 be in this situation where we are now, where you've got all these pussies that are out there that have absolutely zero uh, in in terms of work ethic, dedication, a, a a thirst for knowledge, a thirst for like making themselves the best version of themselves that they can be. And, you know, this, this is what, you know, the, the calling for Bitcoin is. And I know we're going to be talking about, you know, wartime and all that kind of stuff in, in terms of Bitcoin. But, you know, this is this is what this area, this this community is attracting. It is attracting people who have proof of work, 
who have skin in the game, who have, you know, put in the, the miles and the hours and the, you know, the, the, the books and everything else, which is, you know, pulling into this arena. And it's, it's really kind of phenomenal to watch because it's not, you know, it's not segregated to, to one class or, you know, one type of person. This thing stretches globally. And when it touches, you know, whoever it touches, you start to see this community as what it is. And it's just, you know, the people who have, you know, real skin in the game that are going out there and working their asses off and building a completely new system. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely not for everybody. It, it, reminds, me of, it, it reminds me of the Hoppy and Natural Elites where you're like, like it just is is bringing in not necessarily the physical elites mm-hmm. certainly some of that as well but it's also bringing in the intellectual elites and and like i think that's what we're going to need if we're going to rebuild but i, I cut you off guy go ahead yeah no the um the analogy i think this is a good cap on the whole the whole segment here is the analogy that Saifedean had was that bitcoin will be adopted by the entire world the same way that gunpowder was it wasn't that everyone, you know, you know, we're in when we're talking about monetary shifts, you know, the only reason we have 160 fiat currencies and really we have like one or two, like when we when we really look at it at scale, like on the global scale, you really you really have the dollar monetary convergence is an insanely powerful force that even in the face of 160 like across the globe, across the globe, violent, enforced, strictly enforced monopolies on you have to use this currency. We still really have one global standard and it is a fiat standard, no less. It is still one controlled by an entity. So it is a weak, it is a fragile standard because of that. And the, so the force to converge, like it's not merely that there's there is no world where two people can use two different monies in markets that don't have massive barriers between each other and that one does not become dominant and essentially wipe out the other one at some point momentum leads to one it will tend it which it will shift in one direction and then every incremental increase in the value of that will have a disproportionate uh decrease in the value of the other you can't hold the same unit of value in one versus the other it is always a trade-off which means that its adoption will be darwinian its adoption will be like gunpowder it wasn't that a whole bunch of countries like france didn't adopt gunpowder because you know they all became gunpowder maximalists and everybody understood the importance of the technology it was literally that you either adopted it or the country next to you that did walked over you you died. You lost. Your civilization simply went extinct. That is going to happen on a ca- on the scale of capital shifts. And like El Salvador in this next bull run is going to watch their country explode. They're, you're probably going to see one of the most – we've already seen an incredible amount of turnaround in that country and GDP growth at a time when the, uh, the whole global economy is kind of in shambles. And they will actually see – Potentially one of the strongest, like genuine, like foundational growths in that economy as any country we've ever seen in modern days. If Hmm. with the position that they have during a Bitcoin bull market, as this becomes more important on a global scale. And in doing that, everybody who holds fiat 
you all you have is a all you have is choosing between how much you lose. Right. That's all this your whole choice. Your best option is like seven percent annualized loss, which is, <laughs> which is the US dollar. That's the best option since Which is devastating since if you do it 1944, for a decade. It's 7% annualized average loss. And that's the king. That's the cream of the crop. Like yes. that's insane. It's bullshit. It, there's on a long enough timeline, all Bitcoin has to do is survive. Just out of curiosity, um, which by the way, I'm glad you described it as Darwinian. Cause I was like, as you were talking, I was like, oh, survival of the fittest. Yeah. Yeah. Like someone's gonna, someone's gonna survive and a whole lot of people aren't. <clears throat> Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, uh, I, you mentioned El Salvador and, and their adoption rate. I would imagine Argent Argentinians and other nations that have dealt with hyperinflation, there's a, a good adoption rate of Bitcoin in those countries. What is there any estimates as to because I, like I, even though America, as you described, has suffered probably the least inflation over the past decade compared to so many of these other fiat um, currencies, is there widespread adoption in America despite that fact just because of our tech savvy and our internet and watching YouTube and stuff like that that we we can weather this or, or what do you think I mean 100%, uh, I, I'm pretty sure America is the highest adoption in the world I per figured. capita yeah is it just because of our wealth because it doesn't strike me that we're like the most Austrian economics backed but maybe we are I don't know it's it's wealth and I think there is still a really strong underbelly of I don't trust the man culture here, um, despite everything. I was like, I was like, during 2020, I was pretty sure there was none of that. But yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad to hear it, it still exists. No, it's it's that, but it's also like Americans, uh, and you guys are American. I'm not. Uh, Americans just buy everything. I swear to God, like <laughs> and, and seriously, like it's you know, you look at any statistic of any product of anything, like we own as soon the most. as you launch in America, like <laughs> it's like. I was speaking to someone about like an education. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, that's right. And I was speaking to someone about an education app actually about um, a month or two ago and they were raising money and they were just talking about like, you know, oh, we've got like, you know, 20,000 users and like, you know, 80% of the users are in India. Um, you know, we've got 4% users in America, but they're like, look, between you and I, 90% of the revenue comes from American users. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's like still like it's outside. So. I think there's a there's a function there of just like, I mean, America is still the wealthiest country on the planet by far. Like it's it's not even close. Like and so so all the money's there, all the capital's there. Uh, all most of the Bitcoin content is in English. Uh, you know, Bitcoin technology, etc., is a, is an English centric uh, concept as well. So I, I don't see um, America sort of falling behind in this, even though the need you could argue is greater elsewhere. Uh, it's yeah, for, from my opinion, being an outsider, not being American, it's um, it's a, it's an uncanny thing. Yeah, well, it doesn't doesn't really surprise me that even though we we probably have it the best, we're still we still kind of have that that prepper ethos where like shit's gonna that, fall apart, man. That too, as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and I, I you know I felt it before twenty twenty, so <laughs> obviously I have I have that in me. Um, I wanted. I was actually thinking about it uh, yesterday, and you know, a lot of a lot of modern conspiracy theorists will talk about you know WMDs in in Iraq and uh, Project for New American Century and the the seven nations that they plan to topple in the War on Terror and the Patriot Act. 
uh, the spying apparatus, the NSA, like all these, like we'll talk about these modern conspiracies, uh, COVID lockdowns, the man-made coronavirus, uh, you know, like there's, there's plenty, plenty of men or plenty of modern conspiracy theories to kind of uh, catch your, your attention. But to me, the, the grandest conspiracy of all time, and it really gets ignored, um, JFK assassination. We'll talk about all these, all these, uh, you know, what seem big, but comparatively to this one are really minor. And I think you guys already know where I'm going with this. This is kind of Bitcoin 101 stuff, I'm sure, for you. But Aliens? The, Federal, the Federal Reserve, like, how the fuck do people not talk about that as the greatest conspiracy in the history of mankind? It really, like, I don't know how. I, I just uh, just read Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley, and it's like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is such a coup. It is the it is a global coup. They, they literally took over the the reserve currency of the world and have the capacity to set interest rates the quantity of money how the fuck did they pull that off I, like i i almost respect it if i didn't want to put them in gulags well, I, you wanted... I... go ahead guy I'll, I'll give this one to you but i wanted to just play devil's advocate okay okay well oh. let's go do devil's advocate and then i'll uh, add some uh spice to the conspiracy theory okay all right so so my devil's advocate opinion is this is that it had to happen um, like there, there was like, yeah, it had to happen. And someone, I mean, I'm at least glad America did it, um, you know, to, to some degree. And the thing is we're, we're in the, we're in the era of fiat. We weren't going to go from, you know, sticks and stones and, you know, rye stones and, you know, all this shit to gold, to Bitcoin, right? Like the, the, we just weren't going to make that jump that we had to go through an era of fiat. Simple as that. Fundamentally, there was always going to be some. Uh, we, we needed some ability to make uh, money scale um, beyond uh, what gold could scale with. Now, yes, sure. That, you know, could there be? Um, could there have been better ways to do it? Yeah, you know, maybe we held the like. Maybe, maybe we could have done it in such a way where the promissory notes didn't, uh, you know, get overinflated. Uh, with respect to how much gold there was, but you know, I think this is on. Like, if you if you kind of zoom out a little bit further, um, had all of this not happened, the necessity or the pressure for a discovery of uh, something like Bitcoin may not have happened, right? And you know, maybe maybe we would have had, you know, pretty good digital gold-backed money if we were, you know, a functional, you know, society, a functional culture with strong leaders and, you know, who, who said, yeah, you know what, we're not going to inflate beyond this scarce substance that we have and it's gold and all that sort of stuff. And that might have been good, but it'll never be as good as Bitcoin. So, you know, in some ways we may have drawn the short straw to some degree and, you know, got, had to go through this fiat thing. And then, you know, you, you've also got the argument of, um, you know, that this is, it, it's dynamic global international warfare that happens not only on the uh, physical battlefield, but on the economic battlefield. And, you know, he who was able to capture the reserve um, currency and, you know, basically export inflation and all that sort of stuff was going to become superpower. This is why the Americans are still buying Bitcoin today. <laughs> as much as everything's fucked up, the Americans are buying Bitcoin today. So, so in some ways, um, you know, there is there is a victory here, uh, albeit it's a kind of weird victory. Um, it's like a Pyrrhic um, victory, but it's um, it was going to happen. We had to go through it. It's led us to Bitcoin. It's all good. Let's fucking fix it. 
I don't necessarily disagree that it, it could be kind of like a natural evolutionary step in the process of, um, you know, sound money yeah. uh, development or creation or discovery. Uh, but it certainly did have some deleterious consequences for the world. Uh, but uh, I think more of the point I was making is that it's just fucking incredible that they pulled it off to to, to have actually, yeah. uh, you know, accumulated that much wealth and power in the in the dark of night and and to have everybody not only accept it but like many people appreciate and defend it loudly and they're like mm -hmm. we can't live without it <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's fucking wild imagine imagine that the four of us just come up with this plan to uh have complete control of the global money supply and we have billions of people on earth saying we're the good guys <laughs> you know, like, well it's ethereum, ethereum is doing that today Ethereum and the shitcoin <laughs> is doing that today. I swear to God, they are, and 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 they're, and they're kind of getting away with it. So so like you know, humanity hasn't fucking learned shit because there's a bunch of people holding Vitalik and you know these turds up, you know, as the next saviors. So so like to some degree, um, here we go again. And and look, it was it was a major coup. They they fucking nailed it. The Federal Reserve dudes, like they they absolutely or whoever whoever's behind all this shit, lizard people, aliens, whatever, they nailed it. Fucking nailed it. Has everybody yeah. read The Creature from Jekyll Island? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay. Um, so to um, How dare you even add ask some... that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I completely agree with your point on the sense of, like, Bitcoin doesn't exist without this path, in a sense. Um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And But there's also just an element of this was a technological transition the reason the reason it was inevitable is because we moved to a virtual economy we moved to an a, where trade was an abstraction because it happened through communication and you cannot send digital you can't send gold over a communication line which means that you had to disconnect the actual monetary good from the monetary transaction and when you do that you just introduce an arbitrage opportunity and it's going to get exploited and more importantly is because it's a technological divide and the settle the settlement of gold takes so long necessarily because it's you know physical versus electronic well then what you have when essentially the best way to control it or the i guess the natural tendency the feedback loop of controlling or fixing it is to literally make it bigger and more centralized is to have it more consolidated into a singular unit so that there's more top-down control. And when you do that, you solve the incremental problems by just scaling the problem up. But the issue is that on a political system, in, in a political sense, and the bigger you get, the arbitrage opportunity is, a, is specifically one that arbitrages value against the time it takes to consume the capital, which means that what it's always it's necessarily easier to print the money now to get the appearance of success to get the appearance of growth and let it let the price be paid later it's inevitable even if you had a politician who was full on austrian economics sound money all of that stuff they would lose they would necessarily lose there's no way around it it is politically the the difference in cost versus visibility of printing money now or going into debt now and letting the cost be paid later, you, 
you cannot make a normal popular you cannot make the average person understand connect that from 10 years from now when everything's shitty that it was 10 years ago that that decision happened they will always see what is right in front of them as more important than what what happens in 10 years and because of that this is inevitable it's that's inevitable why we, we sound like the crazy fix it technologically we, we yeah, sound totally. like the crazy people saying fuck george bush and they're like no it's it's biden <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like the whole world fell apart because of George Bush's presidency. But the, anyways, the, the, this, what you, what you just said then, um, uh, guy, just, just to quickly mention something is I, I wrote a piece last year called, um, you know, what was it? No, it was actually, it was, a, it was a talk I gave at, um, in 2020, it was, it was the week before the world lockdown. It was at, um, it was at the, the value of Bitcoin conference in Europe, in Vienna, where they where they used to get a couple ECB people and a couple Bitcoiners to get on stage and basically debate. And my talk was, uh, you know, Bitcoin is the thing that makes the Austrian economic paradigm possible. Without it, it was never possible. Like you, you just couldn't. So, so basically, exactly what you just said. Then, yeah. like the reason that like. It's kind of like it's it's a, a sound ideology. It fucking makes sense. You know, you read it, it's like praxeology. It's you know the the um, you know the axiomatically correct. It's consistent. Everything. It's like, eh, but it didn't work. Um, why? Because the 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 opportunity to um, to exploit, I think, as you said, existed, and that that's just what's going to happen in, in the system. So until until that was fixed, um, or until that was changed, until that was adapted, until that was adjusted. Um, you are you are banking on the um, the integrity uh, of the uh, you know of the people driving the uh, or, or captaining the ship, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. Like I, I don't I, like I've I've come to believe that it's absolutely necessary for strong men to lead society. It's absolutely necessary for strong men to lead civilization. The unfortunate fact, though, and this is just perfectly normal is that civilization goes through cycles the day goes through a cycle the year goes through cycles we go around the fucking planet the planet spins you know you, you have generations people grow they get old and people forget about the lessons and at some point you reach the point of the cycle where it aligns up with a winter and the weak men and the bad times when that alignment happens then you get total fucking destruction that's sort of what's happened you know, I, I asked this question, actually, I grapple with it for about 50 pages in the book that I'm releasing next year, The Bushido of Bitcoin. I ask, I'm like, okay, does Bitcoin actually fix this or not? And and my, my answer is sort of somewhere along the lines of, it's kind of like the winter is going to come and the weak men will come into power again and they'll start to try and dismantle the house and they'll try and like literally take the door of the fucking front of the front front of the house during the winter and they'll put it in the fire so they can warm themselves up right and they'll start like literally pulling the house down so they can warm themselves up and they'll just you know bitcoin makes it so the house is a steel framed house so when the winter does come and the monkeys are operating the house they can't bring the whole fucking thing down. And that's kind of the, that that's the best answer that I could come up with uh, in, you know, within this, yep. um, within this context. So anyway. The way I like to think about it is that it, it doesn't quote unquote fix the cycle. It doesn't fix the, the, I mean, it's a, it's a social cycle, right? It, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a cycle of perspective from where generations grow up in the course of, you know, long-term debt cycles. Leverage will never go away. There will be a bad leverage time and then there will be a sound time. 
But the thing is, is that if you have a foundation to fall back to that isn't reliant on the social decisions, on the mm -hmm. cultural decisions, then what you end up doing is you just you you put the problem. It's just like us having a technological fallback. It's just like us having a communication system that isn't that isn't, you know, completely controlled by some central entity that you have bandwidth for narrative to go around the political apparatus. Like, I, I think I think the Internet is part of that moving up to a new le new level or a new layer of you don't have you don't have to shift back as far you know it's two steps the forward is quicker the feedback is yeah. quicker two steps forward one step back it's always progress forward the next winter just isn't as cold as the last one and i think bitcoin is just one of those things that sets a new layer of the foundation that is separate that is independent enough that you simply have your winters you simply have your cycles your cultural and your debt and your leverage cycles on top of it so yeah, it's we've just got, we've a got higher, wood, a higher wood to layer. steal, wood to steal. Yes, yeah, wood to steal. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Wood to steal I mean, the nukes. Good analogy. Yeah, and Clint, you were kind of you know asking like, how does this all happen, right? Is like, what kind of giant psyop do you have to have for this to happen? Which is incredible in itself. I mean, you look at the 1900s; it's one of the bloodiest uh, centuries you know known to man. And it's it's not about you know how did it happen. There was I think there was always this push for central banks. I mean Jackson went through it. Jefferson warned us you know against it at, at nauseum. Uh, it's how do you keep this under the radar? How do you how do you keep this out of the the sight of the people? And you know that's that's one of the amazing things I think that it's really uh, done is it's made everybody comfortable. And you you get to that point where you know when you adopt the Federal Reserve and now we can start issuing debt and you know the, the you know especially after 1971 when we unpegged from gold is you look at how comfortable people can get as they're closer to the money printer and you know obviously we've got to devalue quite a ways from you know the the 100 dollar in 1913 and that that room that we had provided enormous comfort for people even during times of war uh, comparatively to the past, you know, in the past where, you know, they would have to come to you and be like, Hey, we need money for the war effort. You need to give it to us. Well, they had it on automatic supply. And so if you can print and, and move money around the planet to the people that you need it to move to in order to obviously benefit from that at the same time, keeping these people comfortable over time or enriching them and making them the most powerful planet on earth while it, you know controlling the propaganda machines that are out there but by controlling all of the education and the institutions you get to the point where you see you know pretty quickly like okay these guys made everybody real comfortable for a very very long time and now you know it's 2023 uh i think some of the you know the the lines that Svetsky talked about are you know finally coming into this but i think it's a lot of people who are getting uncomfortable and the people that really notice what's happening is you're finally getting to that point i think it was in 2006 2007 i had just come off the battlefield uh in in iraq for the second time and you know i knew something was coming then it was it was something like you know th this nation is so fat and dumb and happy right now because it's been so damn close to the money printer and there is a reckoning coming. I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, the, the 2007, 2008 housing collapse. And then, you know, I thought we were sitting on the money bubble in, in 2019. But, you know, to now really understand that we're 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 there like we are we're at a point now where this is uh, this is becoming extremely uncomfortable and it's becoming uncomfortable for, you know, let's just say some extremely powerful people, because when you see, you know, Larry Fink, you know, maybe the most powerful man on earth have to do 180 degrees over the last five years and eat shit on national television over his understanding of Bitcoin. 
Like mm-hmm. that is a that is maybe one of the most underrated and most profound victories I think we have in Bitcoin uh, is to to have you know these people start to acquiesce to the the, the Bitcoin community. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Um, I I want to thank our sponsor this evening. Why is it not coming up? There we go. Uh, speaking of winter. If you want to prepare for winter, Phoenix Ammunition is the premier supplier to the militia industrial complex with 100% of their sales going directly to American citizens. No cops, no military, fuck all that. Just straight to you, the people that the Second Amendment was written for. Phoenix Ammo uses the highest quality component parts and most advanced quality control system in the country to to deliver exactly what you expect while at the range or when your life is on the line and performance matters above all else. Phoenix Ammo is the trusted supplier for top-level competitive uh, shooters, world-class training companies, including Haley Strategic Training and Warrior Poet Society and recreational shooters nationwide. Head to phoenixammo.com, subscribe to their propaganda newsletter, and follow them on Twitter at Phoenix Ammunition for the latest in-product updates, high-quality trolling, small libertarian commentary, and world-class meme warfare. Save up to 25% off all day, every day, with their automatic volume-based discounts. This is my favorite company in the universe i love fucking phoenix ammo if you need ammo it's the one-stop shop phoenixammo.com come for the ammo stay for the memes yo all right we're back uh wait wrong screen there we go let me bring you guys in here hold on hold on here we go there you are all right um no for real though i love fucking phoenix ammo they're a great company uh so yeah i was i was God, you guys make so many good points that I'm like, I'm like, I'm, as soon as he's done talking, I'm going to say this. And then Shane says something. I'm like, no, that's brilliant. I got to comment on that. I love, I love these panels. They're fucking amazing. Um, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to bring, we were talking about the natural elite. So I'm going to run a clip from Vivek Ramaswamy because I think, you know, whether you trust, the, whether you trust the dude or not, he is a natural elite. That, that dude is a fucking absolute savage. Uh, just, just his, you know, speaking skills alone puts him in that category. But the fact that he's, you know, worth a half a billion dollars, it's like, and he's 38 or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, I think he's probably a natural elite. Uh, But here we go. One hand, okay, the Black Rocks of the world are pressuring Exxon and Chevron and others to effectively drill for less oil with emissions caps. Turns out those companies have to drop oil production projects to meet those net zero standards by 2050. Guess who's, or no, no, let me ask you just a question what your net reaction is. You may know where I'm going with this, so you may probably get it right. Do you think those projects are still proceeding? Or do you think that they actually just got dropped in the interest of staving off global emissions? Which do you think it is between the two? Um, dropped. No, wrong answer actually. Projects are proceeding. They're just proceeding under new ownership. So the firms that are buying up these projects from Chevron include the likes of PetroChina on the other side of the world. Now you ask the final question, Guess who's one of the large shareholders of PetroChina? It is none other than BlackRock, the very firm that was actually pressuring the Exxons and Chevrons of the world over here to drop those kinds of projects. That is how deep this runs. You don't know why? Because if you go to China and say, I'm going to establish an ESG agenda and scope three emissions targets, they're going to tell you to get the heck out and to shut the door on your way out because we built a great Chinese wall, the great wall that stops you from entering the Chinese market if you're going to mess with our companies. But actually, if you're also one of those firms that's doing it to the U.S., we'll roll out the red carpet. And that's exactly why BlackRock became the first foreign owner to win a license to sell mutual funds in China a few years ago because they were doing the bidding of the CCP. So, so this runs deep. Right? And when you, have, when you have sort of concentrated nodes of private public power in the United States, 
That's what lends it to capture even by other governments like the CCP in a truly decentralized free market system or in a truly decentralized democratic body politic, by the way. That doesn't lend itself to capture, including by foreign actors. But when you have that level of concentration of both capital, but also capital coordinated with state action, that's what lends itself to capture from abroad. And that's the game the CCP has actually mastered. Uh, that's one of the best breakdowns I've ever heard of how the public-private partnership nonsense is fucking destroying mm -hmm. capitalism in the world. Um, first off, everyone thinks that this dude's controlled up. Why the fuck would they have a guy up there explaining that? You know, despite the fact that I don't necessarily agree with his conclusion that it's CCP, I think that this is a, a U.S. phenomenon just as much as is, is a Chinese one. Um, the, just just to explain that, like, why would they want someone at the highest level of politics explaining that to huge audiences? It seems totally counterproductive. Uh, tell me why I'm wrong. If everything's a psyop, nothing's a psyop. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, you can't, like, like, I think, I think there's an element of giving <laughs> intelligence agencies too much credit. It is okay. in, it is in their benefit for us to think they're gods, mm. for us to think that they control everything and everyone and every narrative. They don't. They so you don't. don't think they are people inside. like, no, I don't. Okay. No. Um, and I, I think it would be, it, it goes against like i think the more realistic psyops like the more realistic things that are probably controlled narratives that are probably you know pushing people to think about it uh you know for, like it's just like ctil the um so i read a piece which is the ctil files that um uh, michael schellenberger dropped and has started on uh twitter right now yep um which is the new thing that kind of ties together the twitter files and the facebook files all the censorship and the direct conversation with politicians who were like you, you need to take this account down they said they said something that we just don't we just can't have um is one of the things that they talked about is uh like the, it's basically a an intelligence agency playbook I mean, I'm practically the exact same thing. They essentially rebranded it for their thing, and they called themselves a volunteer group that just happened to have a thousand people volunteering all to control the narrative and shut down everybody. And it just so happened that a large portion of them are directly on the payroll of intelligence agencies, but all coincidence, Oops. all up and up. You know, you know, we're uh, we're above <laughs> board. Don't you worry, guys. Um, but uh. uh the, it's essentially the censor, censorship industrial com complex, and their playbook was literally it's it's hilarious. Like when when they lay it out, nothing in their playbook says explain the truth and be convincing. All of it, <laughs> like it starts with discredit, defame, and attack anybody who says otherwise. One of the things that the uh, I think her name was Tar Terp, some I can't, I can't remember, um, but. Uh, one of the things she said on a podcast is uh, and and were repeated in internal uh, communications within this organization because it was somebody inside that leaked internal communications, discord yeah. conversations and all that stuff. Um, and uh, they, they said one of their rules was repetition is truth. Say it enough times. Say the bullshit. And she even stated explicitly that often misinformation is actually factual. It's just in the wrong context. So it's it's facts where they draw the wrong conclusion. So mm. what we have to do is it's defame not, it, and attack them because the conclusions precede the truth. It, well, it's not it's not even wrong context. It's just that it it might it lead you to a conclusion, conclusion that's counter yeah. to our preference. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
It's just it just it's using the fact in a way that doesn't support our narrative. It, it, right. it it's using the fact to support something but else. To, to your to mm. your point though, I I've, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. Is like the the fact that you have these uh, you know these congressional hearings and these dis disclosures, these Twitter leaks, and what you see is like this. It's not that high level of an operation. Like like you have. Sure, they were they were labeling a you know a couple thousand accounts that they were trying to get deplatformed and shit like that, and they ha but they have to fucking email these private companies and say, hey, just following up, have you banned this guy yet? And it's like, all right, if if that's where we're at, the tyranny isn't nearly as bad as I thought, because I thought that these dudes just had a switch where they were like, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. It's like, no, 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 they have to email some. I mean, sure, it's some former FBI agent that's sitting at Twitter in the terms of service back room you know but so it's like it's bad but it's not as bad as as it could be and i think that um certainly their their capacity for control really only works on the unwitting masses it doesn't really work on anybody that understands the game at all you know if like if you know that their their entire game plan is to just discredit people who are telling uncomfortable truths well you're able to see like all of us see through that instantaneously so it doesn't have any real impact on us as, as best i can tell um so I guess I, I'm I'm trying to spin this optimistically, even though I hate these motherfuckers and I think that they all belong in prison for the rest of their lives. I'm I'm just saying that they're not they're not omnipotent. Yeah, and I think it's in, you know, in the context of like their most powerful tools, like the the deepest levels of infiltration. I think it works in their favor to not use them. Is mm -hmm. that to that it's better for them to have visibility because as soon as you start doing the the switch where nobody at Twitter knows how it got switched off. You know, like once you start using that tool, that tool becomes unusable to you. It becomes exposed. Right. Um, it's like uh, there was the, I think it was the Stuxnet um, yeah, uh, malware or whatever, is that one of the things, like there's so many, like if you go through like Vault 7 and like a lot of stuff that Snowden leaked, um, I've slowly tried to skim and read through because I, I, try, I try to be the one that reads all the things, but holy God, it's a, it's a mountain. Um, but some of the crazy things in it, it just, it just absolutely nuts the way, and, and nuts and partly genius, um, that one of the things that a lot of their malware, were do, their, their strongest stuff is, or, or their most pervasive tools, will not, will always go for the, the easy target. It will never try to attack anything that has any sort of a defense, specifically because it doesn't want to, it's more worried about being exposed than having control. And because as soon as it starts getting exposed, then it when you its know power. it's there, you start thinking about how to stop it or prevent right. it. Um, so one of the things that it would literally do is that there, there'd be this whole series of things is that if it saw any indication whatsoever that something was being logged, that something was being flagged or that it was reacting in a way that the device would not normally react or the computer would not normally react, and as if it was potentially responding to a change in its environment, it would immediately erase itself and shut down all connection. So it would, it would abandon ship immediately and it would look for another way around. Um, and so like from that context, I think their most powerful tools are the ones they actually use more for visibility and less for control. Whereas a lot of the just normal, the, the censorship happens, like you said, by email through discord conversations and you know phoning people up and be like we would really like for your 
shadow banning. I mean, I mean, context visibility filtering, <laughs> not shadow banning, uh, to happen to lean towards this account if uh, it just so happened that the wind blew that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that, that's that's exactly what I'm uh, the point I'm making. It's like they, I think that they have far higher capacity for brute force, but they're still in the coercive phase. You know, like they they haven't gone into the gulag and the rounding them up and the gun confiscation phase, uh, both financially and you know militarily. So I think that that we have some time, but it's uh, the time is is running out. And the the reason I say that, and I'm sure you guys are all on the same page, is because it's really just a math equation at this point. Like you're, you're getting to the point where the debt carry cost <clears throat> for the national debt is so extraordinary. Uh, if you want to maintain the fed funds rate where it's at and that debt rolls over, I mean, you're going to be eating yourself. I mean, they're, they're going to be eating the entire, <laughs> the entire uh, tax revenue that they bring in annually. And it's, it's not that far off. And if they don't do that, well then inflation really starts to run rampant. And then the Bitcoin adoption, uh, you know, probably explodes. So I'm just curious. Uh, I mean, take it wherever you want. I am, am, is there any reason to not feel as if this is, this is not a can kickable moment the same way 08 was and 2020 was, it feels like this is the time where it really isn't avoidable. It might be slightly delayable, but I don't think it's avoidable. God, I, I thought it wasn't avoidable in 2019, honestly. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I was like, hey, hun, we got to sell the house. Like, this is going to be the top of the market. It is time to get out of the burbs. It is time oops. to get into a, a mountain. No, I actually turned out very well in, in, oh, in, that, whole, in that whole process. You know, we got locked in at like a 2% uh, uh, mortgage and, you know, re really killed it. But, yeah, I, I think we've been thinking for a while now that there's no way out of this. But these guys, you know, they – they've got ways they've got means they've got a lot that's you know at their disposal and uh kind of to you know reference the last clip with ramaswamy you know to play devil's advocate a little bit you know i don't know if he's a, a psyop or he he's you know part of you know controlled opposition or not but i will say you know there's this understanding that um you know we're in fifth generation warfare right now and i think that's one of the things that uh, a lot of people you know don't understand is you know fifth generation warfare is really just hyped up psychology um it, it's mm -hmm. it's it's an idea that you can go out there and confuse and manipulate and so if you've got you know some guy that's extremely well spoken like you did in 2007 2008 uh with barack obama and you know highly polished and just a, a great orator this guy you know can come out and he can say some extremely brilliant things and you know think hey you know how, how would we ever put some you know somebody who's controlled op saying something like this but if you look at it from a psychological standpoint you know demoralization in terms of a battlefield is one of those things that is tip top in terms of you know it doesn't matter if it's a, an agency or the dod or something like that like this is this is the top of their playbook in terms of breaking the will of the people or dividing the people so, you know, if we see that, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, look at what BlackRock's doing over in China versus what they're doing here in the United States, it does exactly, you know, what they want it to do in terms of it confuses things, it, it breeds all sorts of uh, division and, and, you know, you get people on Twitter that, you know, will have giant threads just about, you know, this one subject and you're like, guys, like, 
you know, we're over here doing this thing, you know, obviously with Bitcoin where we've kind of forgotten the past and we've united and we've, we're laser focused on the future versus a lot of this, you know, the people that we talked about in the very beginning that aren't ready for that. So, you know, I, I'm not saying Ramaswamy is that guy. What I'm saying is, is, you know, anything that can and will divide people instead of, you know, providing a solution to them is uh, is going to fit, you know, their, their narrative for fifth generation warfare. Well, I think that's certainly true. And, and definitely part of fifth generation warfare is that it's less bombs and more psyops yeah. and good fucking God, are we suffering a lot of psyops? <laughs> it's like, it's like nonstop. I, I spend basically 80% of my show just trying to unpack this for my audience and be like, all right, this is, this is the new propaganda campaign. This is the new war that we have to not get involved in. It's just nonstop. It really, it really, uh, you know, it occupies so much of my time. I feel like it, it keeps me from being productive on the creation side as opposed you, to the prevention side. At least it side. gives you a podcast, bro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's good for business, I guess, but uh, you know, it, it's not good for my mental health sometimes. Um, but the, here's the reason I, I say that because I I posted a, a complimentary clip about Vivek last night, and I have a bunch of people going, "Yeah, so was Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a great speaker too." It's like this is the difference. Barack Obama was a fantastic speaker. No, no argument there, but it was a lot of platitudes. It was not, he mm. never went again. He never challenged the establishment. No, mm. there was no, no challenging the establishment. It was yeah. just, it was flowery language. It was well delivered. It was impassioned seemingly, uh, but it was empty. Vivek, just a good order. Yeah. But Vivek has real motherfucking cutting commentary that like just totally lifts the veil on our, on the power structure that we languish under in a way that's like really profound and and it's not necessary like he can he could be obama of the right he doesn't have to be going after dei that's fucking nuts you know or esg like these are things that are are really important for people to understand and and i think that he's doing a really good job of expressing it in a way to people that they were oblivious you know for for me and and us it's like it's like okay this is stuff i know but I'm just so appreciative to see a guy at the highest, you know, on the highest stage explaining this to people in a way that's really concise and, and poignant and powerful. And it, it's like, I don't know, it just it just makes me feel like even though I, I disagree with some of his conclusions, I certainly disagree with his antagonistic approach to China and the cartels in Mexico. There's I have plenty of disagreements, but man, am I grateful that that dude's, you know, has that platform and he's and he's saying what he's saying to that wide of an audience. Yeah, just just a note on the comparison to Obama. Go back and find anything that Obama did that wasn't a speech. It wasn't like well, he, be, he wasn't just DEI. Like a canned, <laughs> like a like like he was giving speeches. He was a great orator. He was wonderful at giving speeches, but it was all prepared. Vivek is having conversations, you know, like For everything that hundreds of hours over the past year, yeah. just. Yeah, he's ad-lib conversations. Talking. It's crazy. He's just talking. Um, but there are a couple things I wanted to hit on. Was is this the end of the cycles? Right? Is yes, is this, please. Is there anything that we can do to continue kicking the can? Um, I think, in some sense, we're just going to continue to get exponential accelerations because, and I think it's it could very well be until Bitcoin has the liquidity. Because there's no, the, the problem is all of the recipe, all of the ingredients are that are necessary are there for the dollar debt bubble to implode, to collapse. 
I think it could have in 2008, and it would have been the end of the line. But there's not enough bandwidth for it to go anywhere. Mm. That's the problem. So, like dollar, so we recover in that same corrupt system just because they don't know about because the there's nowhere hatch. else for it to go. You right. need a thirty trillion dollar exit valve. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Like we're in a closed system. That's the problem. So one of the crazy things to think about is that dollar adoption around the world is higher than it was. The bond bubble has broken. <laughs> the sovereign, the you know, government, U.S. government bonds are in the shitter, but. The dollar is still the best of a big giant pile of crap. And Bitcoin isn't big enough to release all that pressure. So I think really what we're going to do is just go through these much, much faster cycles. Like I think we're just we just saw a short cycle from 2020 to 2023. And we're about to go on a, a loosening a, a printing spree again. And probably in the next couple of years, you know, it, people would have said you were nuts. Go back. 10, 12 years to say that there would have been a year where we added $4 trillion to the deficit. That'd have been, that'd have been batshit, right? Like that, like they were just like adding trillions and trillions of dollars. It was un unheard of. It, people went nuts over a $700 billion bailout. In a way, like, yeah. Like we had mm -hmm. two huge movements. We had a huge movement on the left and a huge movement movement on the right. Dude, um, we, we have party we have and we had 700 billion in 08. That's like, that's like what we add to our national debt in 30 days. <laughs> well, in, in, in Janet Yellen, she's on record in front of Congress saying something about what, $52 trillion? Like, yeah. they have no plans on stopping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, I mean, it, it feeds back on itself. There's there's no way for it not to. We're going to have a $10 trillion deficit year in like probably like two years. Yeah. The, 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 also, the whole world's got to dollarize as well. Like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cushion space. There's a lot of time, you know, I, 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 you know, the biggest mistakes I made in, you know, economically speaking over the last uh, decade and a half was like just continually thinking that they can't kick the can any further. Like 2008, that's it. You know, then 2012, no, can't happen anymore. Like, and it's just the, the same old fucking thing over and over again. And, you know, kind of like realized that exponential is a big number and, you know, <laughs> it like, you don't know where you are on the curve. And you could add zeros. You could add literally, zeros literally. Orders we could be talking about more. hundreds of trillions before it yeah. really breaks. I mean, yeah. you, you, you just don't know. You just why, don't and, know. But why, why do you guys think that? Because, like, I mean, we've already suffered adequate inflation to get people very upset. So I don't think that you can actually have, like, I don't, if my we house go, went up 150%, 150% in five years. Right. right. Uh, well, how, yeah, real estate in particular. Has it broken me? Has it, I mean, I mean, like, think about oh, it. Oh, wait, you mean your cost or your value? Value. Well, value. of course, that wouldn't break you. That helps you. <laughs> no, I know it. I know it. But think about it. Like, we're mostly in debt. The average the average person in the United States is more in debt than, like, we don't have savings to de devalue. Like, 80% well, of the country doesn't sure. even have $2,000. Like, a $2,000 expense, unexpected expense would destroy them. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm saying yeah. most people can't, like, once they can't afford groceries, which is where... Like just with the alleged 10% inflation, which is probably mm -hmm. significantly higher, um, you know, that's enough to get people really fucking pissed off. And, and yeah. my, my point is, is that if they do reduce interest rates and they inflate the bubble one more time and the inflation kicks back on, uh, I mean, it's already here, but if it kicks back on in any significant fashion, I don't think that the American people will accept without rioting what the Argentinians accepted. 
Like yeah. I think that our, our riots will come far sooner. We already rioted in 2020 because of a video that was taken out of context. So it's like we we will absolutely riot uh, far far earlier than the vast majority of the world. And you know I guess that's what that's American exceptionalism is that we don't accept <laughs> we don't accept not being able to eat whatever the fuck we want and having the biggest flat screen TV. We will fucking riot if you take that from us. So <laughs> that's the true American exceptionalism. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've thought that for a long time, Clint. I was like, at some point, you know, the, the clock is running out on the Fed and, you know, the rest of these organizations like the IMF and WEF. And, the, you know, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the American sentiment towards this was when they do get to that uncomfortable point where, listen, you know, you've got people who are crying their eyes out talking about both them and their husband, you know, working, you know, ridiculous hours can barely make the rent and, you know, the insurance and everything else going on. It's like you get to a certain point and, you know, now they're choosing between eating and the mortgage. And, it, you know, at, if that continues, now you've got sheriff's deputies going out for the bank to start repoing houses. And you're like, is that gonna are, are americans really gonna put up with that for very long because i man i, I gotta tell you I, I don't think that the onus of debt or their their financial position is going to be looked at as like oh it's all my fault they're going to start going no this That's is your, your fault, fault. Yeah. and on top of it you're taking like half of my paycheck then you're taking anything that i i pay for in terms of sales tax then i have to pay for licenses on top of things that i've already paid for with sales tax and that has been taxed for my income and so you start to see you know where you know, americans spend more in tax than they do in food and shelter and in clothing on a yearly basis and i think this i think that's probably a very astute you know observation is you're going to get to the point where the patience of americans is at an all-time end and they're going to go hey I'm not paying this this note to the bank for the house and you guys can cram it up your ass. And if you really want to come get it, well, you're going to have to do it for this house, my neighbor's house, the community. Right. And that's where things start to get really dicey. Yeah, well, it, maybe, it, maybe. well let, let me I have some insight on this because I was I, I came out of college right into the teeth of the, the Great Recession and, and was responsible for uh, foreclosing, evicting, liquidating, remodeling hundreds of houses and and this was in an era where we still had law and order, where a sheriff would actually go and evict somebody and they, it would happen peacefully almost always. I, I think we're in a different period. <laughs> like, like the, for one thing, there's a lot of animosity towards uh, law enforcement. For another thing, there's a lot of jurisdictions where the mayor or the governor is like, I'm not interested in enforcing property rights. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to send the sheriff to evict this person. Um, and, you know, like I, it, that hasn't that hasn't really happened yet. We've seen it when it comes to rioting and things like that and and, and uh, shoplifting, certainly like very widespread with that. But uh, we haven't seen it with actual evictions on behalf of the banks. I think if we if we get to that point, then that's real systemic collapse at that point, because the, the banking institution absolutely rely relies on the capacity to recoup their collateral. If they can't do that, well, then shit gets really wild really quickly. And um, I think that we're not too far off from that, honestly. And and that that is something that I did not expect to see really in my lifetime. Like I was just like, no, like, of course, the 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 sheriffs and the local police are going to defend the bank's collateral. And I'm like, now <laughs> you know, like, these, these guys don't I mean, they don't have any obligation to defend us, our physical bodies. Do you think these guys are going to go risk their lives to defend some, you know, faceless banks house? 
Like you know, the risk not. of just being involved is getting higher and higher, and right. and the reward know, is diminishing. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. the you you may have a situation where, like, even though nobody quote unquote owns their house anymore, which is just kind of the nit- natural cycle of fiat, right? Is that the bank just soaks everything up if you can create money out of thin air to loan to somebody? That's one of the things that like just gets me. It's like, oh, but how would you afford a house? You know the. I'm given a loan. That's that's the only way I can have a house. It's like, bitch, you didn't get the house. The bank got the house. <laughs> like a loan isn't something that somebody gives to you. It's something that you give to them. <laughs> you just gave them an income. Right. You just said I'm going to work for you, so that I can. You're just renting it from the bank. Well, you know, the, like the other the other dot I wanted to connect is that mm-hmm. in the the 0708 you know implosion or into 09, um, there was a lot of lack of understanding as to how that bubble had happened, who was responsible, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. This iteration of a deflationary, uh, you know, spiral would be, you shut down my business during COVID. You force me to take a vaccine. I have myocarditis, which forces me not to work. And now you're going to take my house. Yeah. Well, I still have it's guns. It's the Bitcoiners' fault. <laughs> What's it's that? the Bitcoiners did it. Yeah, exactly it's the right. Bitcoiners' fault. It's yeah. that Clint guy. He was talking about it on the podcast. It's his fault. <laughs> no, no, I'm am I'm just saying. Like, I think there 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 will be much more of a fight. Like, if if it actually goes down, like, because there was there was like a million plus houses, I think that that were, uh, you know, seized by the banks during the yeah. 09 period, and I don't think that people would actually like go peaceably the way they did last time. So. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I mean, I, I just sort of these days, I don't underestimate. There's a couple of things. Um, I injured my knee uh, two months ago in jiu-jitsu. And I keep telling myself that this is fucked. I need to go and get my knee sorted out. Um, but each day I get a little bit more used to the pain. And it's become almost like a, um, it's, it's almost like a new, like a new threshold, like, and I, I've lost the urgency to go and fucking talk to something. And it's fucked, dude. I can't walk properly. I wake up in the morning in my knee, like, and I tell myself, oh, fuck, man, I've got to go sort this out. And then I get busy uh, writing this and that and this and that. And another day goes by and I don't do anything about it. So, so ne- never underestimate, like, I, I believe human beings' greatest, um, gr- like, the, the, the greatest asset that humans possess is also our greatest um, threat. It's, it's adaptability. Um, and we, we adapt, uh, downwards, um, and we adapt upwards. Right. And, and what I mean by that is you can probably infer, uh, you know, you, you either adapt to, as I was saying earlier in the, uh, in the discussion, excellence, growth, you know, production, etc. Um, or you adapt to being locked inside your fucking room for six months, uh, and being told that you can't like. You can't go outside and get oxygen. Like it's it's boy, boy I sure didn't. I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I know I know what you're saying though. Yeah, that, that that's the thing. So so like, there's that piece. There's also like a lot of. I mean, if the argument was true that everything just like breaks, snaps, and you know implodes, um, you know, many 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 countries have gone through uh, hyperinflation. They're still there. Like Argentina just does it every decade just for fun um <laughs> so, so does like so it's like every it's other it's about that time again i think basically you know let's do i don't it again. know if they describe it as fun but i get your point <laughs> and and um and you know everything 
continues on. And um, like, you know, sure, there, there is American exceptionalism, but there's also, uh, you know, a, a large degree of uh, the wealth uh, is in America. And, and, you know, Americans just have this incredible ability to just innovate and come up with shit in the weirdest of times. Like, you know, you, you sort of had the rise of social media last time. You know, this time you had the rise of remote work and remote work, you know, is, as much as it's mostly a scam, there is, you know, this capacity now that's uh, kind of happened where we can we can hire fucking people from, you know, Brazil and Eastern Europe and all this sort of stuff. And we can actually bring the cost down of some things. Um, and I don't know, there's like innovations in, you know, people are going to start eating bugs and they'll believe it's okay. And like, no, this... I won't. <laughs> Damn it, it's all not America. <laughs> no, the Damn fuck it, I won't. Totally about you, all right, <laughs> they're gonna put so, they're gonna put little bug ports on their triple mask. Listen, yeah. it'll bring to bring down the price of steak. Yeah, yes. but we, we but we are the intractable minority. I know, I know you're speaking broadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 my my, I guess my thing is never underestimate the um the stupidity of the lemmings. Um, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. And well, they well, if will... I haven't learned that lesson after 2020, yeah, I'm a fucking idiot at this point. So yeah, I yeah. agree with you. I do. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's the extent. So, so I, I, I just, I, I 100% agree with everything you guys are saying. I just, I just feel like we can, we, we just have a tendency because we're, we're rational to project our rationality onto something that is irrational. And, you know, something about the world can, seems to be able to remain irrational longer than our rationality can comprehend and that's the that's the that's the blind spot for all of us i think yes no i agree and and i mean peter schiff has made has beclowned himself by totally. <laughs> every year declaring it's next year so I, I i go out of my way not to do that yeah because um, yeah. i have a lot of respect for the guy i'm not even like trying to hate on him i'm just saying like if you do that you become the boy who cries wolf and, mm -hmm. and people stop taking you seriously and instead of just pointing out what ron paul regularly did was this is not sustainable. Can I give mm -hmm. you a timeline? No, I can't. But it's not sustainable, and I know I know the ultimate end uh, state of this path. And I think that's that's the best thing you can do. And and honestly, we ought to all hope that there is more time. There is more time to prepare because I think when when you actually hit that uh, that tipping point, it's very very painful. So I want to I want to have as much opportunity as possible, not just to prepare myself, but to prepare my friends friends and family, audience, everything else. So. Um, I, I'm not at all certain that it's imminent. The, the reason that I, I, I am concerned that it's imminent, though, is just because of the the interest on the debt. I mean, that is it is really mm. backbreaking. I don't think people are giving it enough credence. Like we're going to be spending just this year alone, I believe it is. We're already going to be spending more on the interest carry on the national debt than our national defense. Our national defense is as big as like the next five or six nations on earth, the biggest militaries on earth combined. We are going to pay more than that in interest alone. <laughs> you know, like, and we're not uh, even at war. Well, yeah, we're not at war, but yes, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're also, and more still has to roll over. Like it's just, it's oh, only yeah. going to get worse. Oh yeah. People don't even understand that. that yeah. Like the, the majority of our debt has not rolled it over into these higher interest rate figures yet. So once that happens, if it happens, uh, it gets very, very backbreaking very quickly. And then, then you already have all of these unfunded liabilities that, that total in the hundreds of trillions of dollars, if you're being honest about it. 
Um, and I'm just like, man, this this gets ugly quickly. And then you have the potential for World War Three. Like you have uh, the UN is ramping up to try and get involved in Ukraine directly. I, I was hearing yesterday. I'm like, what the fuck are we even talking about? Then you have uh, Netanyahu and and other higher ups in Israel that are are loudly proclaiming <clears throat> now is the time to take on Iran. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Like, if if we go that route, uh, I, I mean, I realize this is the lashing out of, of the death of empire phase. And, like, that's certainly a distinct possibility. And I think that's that's really where I wanted to take this is, you know, does Bitcoin fix that? Is there is there any way that, that aside from our advocacy and our, our vocal opposition, is there anything that we can do? And wh whoever whoever's got any answers. I would just put it simply is that you know that cycle lynn alden put it really well in broken money is that if you have two countries you know remember what the arbitrage is in fiat is getting a benefit today and making it and hiding the cost 10 years in the future right so you're arbitraging time which means that you're tricking your citizens, you're tricking your country into using up all of their savings for a war that they don't support and they have no idea what its cost is without them realizing it. And so if you have a world where somebody is on sound money, a country's on sound money and a country's on fiat, on the fiat standard, well, if they go to war, the fiat standard country is always going to win because it has access to the total totality of that country's savings to immediate to go as put as many resources into the violent destruction of the other country as possible. Whereas they're arguing about like, we need to take this 2%, we need to take it to five. And everybody's like, but it's actually leaving. Like I'm actually seeing this cost. It's not five years from now, it's right now. Mm -hmm. um, so Bitcoin solves it in the long run because it, got, it gives neither of them that option. It means that the underlying- Because it kills fiat. It, it, it kills fiat. It, it just means that there's always an escape. There's always an independent base by which the real capital has to has to coincide or has to um, deal with the reality of the Bitcoin network. The fact right. that you can't print those units. Um, so in that sense, like, you know, the Peter Schiff's of the world or whatever, like I'm, I'm going to piss off a bunch of gold people. But gold isn't sound money. Gold can't work. Gold, the problem, the people who think that gold is going to fix this. Gold cannot fix this, and the people who think it can don't understand the problem. Because the problem isn't whether or not gold is sound money. Gold is sound money in a physical tr transactional world. The problem with gold is the fact that there is no digital assurance yep. that can be transferred. Because we're not a physical it transaction. It doesn't exist. It economy. must be centralized because you're talking about a physical thing. Somebody's One person is, can hold it at a time. One person can control gold. There's no multi-sig in gold. There's no... Like it just, it just is, um, you know, two people can't drive the same car to work at the same time unless they work at the same place, but you, you get the idea. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so in, in that sense, gold will never solve the problem. The problem was always, can you get sound money digitally transferable mm -hmm. necessarily digital money? Um, Bitcoin does solve this, but it has to have the liquidity to do so. Mm -hmm. It must be a $20 trillion mm -hmm. asset such that a trillion dollars can exit the capital of a country that attempts to go to this go to war and then they can essentially be bankrupt in a matter of hours well see here's here's what changes this is that you are right obviously that historically war 
would be won by whoever has the reserve currency. Uh, like that would be a, a very easy way to outspend and then ultimately uh, outlast your opponent. There's nuclear weapons, <laughs> you know, like that that changes things dramatically because it, especially since we are saber rattling against multiple nuclear powers uh, with both China and Russia. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Iran has nukes. I assume they don't. If they did, uh, Netanyahu would be screaming it into my fucking face. So I know that they don't. <laughs> um, but you know that that's my that's my greatest fear. And honestly, like I feel, I have enough optimism and humanity and our capacity to innovate that, like, if we avoid that, like, we're gonna have an incredible future. Um, I guess maybe there's like an. A, an AI apocalypse scenario in there that I I'm not giving enough credence to potentially, but nah. I, I, okay. Nah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good. I like the optimism. Nah. Um, so I think that like, as long as we can avoid that, we're good to go uh, in, in a weird way uh, with a lot of pain in the, in the inter intermediate phase. And I'm, I, you know, obviously I think that it's going to be very rough, uh, for the average person, but like, I'm very confident that if we can avoid that, we'll be all right. My, my fear is that because of the financial condition of these nations that they are now, you know, they're looking at it as if like, all right, either we bite the bullet, in which case our political career ends, or we force the rest of the world to bite the bullet, literally, <laughs> you know, and, and that's like, that's going to be their version of conquest or, or empire building is to just try and acquire more resources like go into a more hard resource allocation phase to try and sustain the empire uh because we really haven't been doing that we've just been like destroying nations but we don't really steal their resources for the most part like it's not like the classical empire uh going that that route um i don't even know where i'm going with this yeah you just say i'm scared <laughs> let, let, me, let me just say something you spoke you spoke earlier about the uh the the federal reserve coup right and this was this was a thing which was like the the ultimate chess move, right? It was a fucking checkmate of the 1800s, and uh, through that, U.S. became Federal Reserve, uh, the sorry, the the reserve currency, of the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I think we are in a in a in a stage where the next kind of coup or moment or something like that is going to happen, and uh, you know the, the the pendulum is going to swing to a to another uh extreme or in in another direction and i think it's going to be a um a good one and the same kind of uh economic uh the, the same maybe not the same kind but the same magnitude of economic opportunities going to exist uh with the advent of something like bitcoin is you know he who acquires the most of uh of sort of this resource but um you know that that is going to present incredible, incredible, incredible opportunities, you know, l larger than what we can, I think, imagine today in terms of, um, yeah, in, in terms of magnitude. Well, and un undoubtedly larger, larger than we can imagine. Just think about like in, in 1992, if, if I were to say like, what, what percentage of the economy do you think the, uh, the internet will consume? You'd be like, I have no fucking idea. You know, I have literally no idea. I have no what's idea the, the innovations that are possible. <laughs> yeah. what, what's that? Oh yeah, yeah. Is, what's that, the the, is that the what's one with the, the little A and the squiggle? Is that you mean thing? you mean that? You know, DOS. Logging on. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, Sesky.
So, so anyway, where, where I was going to go with it is just to to echo um, to echo uh, Guy's point. I, I kind of look at this stuff as uh, as generational in nature, um, and, and what I mean by this is, I don't think Bitcoin adoption is going to happen very quickly. I think you know Bitcoin adoption and Bitcoin's process of becoming the thing um, or the the oxygen that makes possible. Um, the the economic and political system of the world is going to take multiple generations uh, to occur, and the the thing is, post Bitcoin and right now pre Bitcoin, uh, almost like two paradigmatically different worlds that they, they don't they don't gel well very together. You you know you've got a rule book for pre Bitcoin and you've got a rule book for post Bitcoin. You know pre Bitcoin rule book is fucking print money, figure out a way to lie, cheat, steal, get into politics, whatever, you know, paper over the losses, borrow from the future. Leverage as well. Leverage, exactly. All, all this sort of stuff, debt, et cetera, et cetera. The post-Bitcoin playbook is very different. You know, you, you've got this sort of, you know, the, the, the economic feedback loops are much tighter. The consequences are far more localized. You know, you have to make decisions differently. I, leverage you know, failure. <laughs> leverage failure, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so you've got these two... The, the, the worlds don't match. I, I, I've, man, I've got to finish this article I've been writing for a while called uh, Incompatible Worlds Theory. So it's kind of like I just look at Bitcoin and just, you know, everything from how it functions, you know, the, you know, it works on UTXO sets, not on accounts and balances. Like, you know, it, it's fixed in supply versus the other, you know, the fiat paradigm is, you know, printable and, you know, it's qu quantitative money. The other is qualitative money. So, so all of these sort of paradigms are two completely different things. And I think we can all you know, necessarily agree on that. The issue, and this is where the challenges arise, is that the incompatibility of those two paradigms mean that where they meet, the, you know, the interregnum, so to speak, the, the, you know, the, the period between these is by definition going to be messy because neither rule book actually works. Um, you know, right now it's a certain rule book, later it's a certain rule book. This fucking period is going to be messy. We don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah, it's literally a lack of consensus, which means that there are no rules if there's no set rules that actually apply, like so, across the board. Yeah. But this is hence where you know all the opportunity lies. So, so I guess to to answer your previous question, does Bitcoin fix the war situation? It doesn't. Um, not not in the short term. In the even in the long term, like I actually think that conflict is a good thing. Uh, we should always have conflict. We should always beat each other over the head with some shit. You know, violence is a fantastic thing. Um, you know, but 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 yeah. No, this is this is my anti-libertarian sort of stance. Is that um you, you need you need the um the threat of violence to exist in order for society to function. Um, and this is sort I, of I don't where disagree I disagree with that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um. So. So the the question is, you know, within which framework uh, does said violence exist, right? And this is where you know things like virtue, self control, honor, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, come in. But anyway, my 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 point here is that um, uh, the fuck is my point? Damn it! I, I lost my I lost my train a, of thought. It was a hell of a monologue with no point. I liked it. There, there, look, I was really going well, somewhere with this. Um, I was really going so. Oh yeah, the, okay. Co conflict is always going to exist, even on a on a post Bitcoin standard. The thing is, there will be a more realistic uh, cost benefit sort of ratio that you can analyze on a Bitcoin yeah, there's, standard. There's, there's you, a you limit. Exactly, but the yeah, value you, of that conflict will be measurable. Exactly, and, and and you might still want to do that, you know. And 
you know, th there, there is conflict in business, man. You know, some businesses like go at each other's throats and, you know, you try and fucking take it. Literally spy on each other. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, so this stuff is going to happen. Um, but the, the kind of conflict that we have today is like petty, ugly, cheetah, parasitic, scumbag, fuckwit conflict. And it's like, it's a, it's a low descendant conflict versus a, you know, a, a competitive ascendant conflict. And um, with, with a delayed cost to the future. Too. With a delayed cost, exactly. And, and that's what makes it worse because you don't know, like everyone is basically incentivized to be like, to, to take the cheapest shots that they can take. Right. And mm -hmm. it becomes this ugly game of just everybody's just like, you know, just doing do like, you know, like imagine just watching a, a fight and, you know, someone is just like doing the biggest dick move. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I don't know if you ever played Street Fighter and like, you you you'd fuck the other person up just by doing the low kick, you know, and you just <laughs> win, win the fight just by doing this fucking low kick the whole time. And it's like. When I, when I was a kid, when I, when, when I was a kid, we called that cheaping. Yeah, <laughs> Stop cheaping me. In, in, in Australia, we called it dogging. It's like, oh, you fucking dog. You know, like, you're just like, <laughs> you know, you, you're wrecking the thing. That's exactly the world we're living in now. It's like, it's this big game being played and you're like, well, this kind of fucking sucks. Like, yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing great about it. There's nothing good about it. Right. Well, Shane, uh, you, you probably have access to more military veteran, uh, you know, buddies than I do even though I've got quite a few, uh, I'm curious what you've been hearing. Is there, is there concern about a, a you know, we already have a, a multi-front <laughs> kind of low level conflict, but uh, it going hot. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a lot that's happening. Um, I, you know, obviously uh, running Bitcoin bets with a, a bunch of the guys out there that are, I mean, just in, incredible. And this thing has kind of grown into a, a regional, uh, you know, power. Now we're expanding globally. Um, this is what I think is probably, uh, one of the, the best in terms of understanding, like where the Bitcoin veterans are on this. And it's because, you know, we have such a, a aligned, but, uh, compartmentalized background where now it's just kind of unleashed. There's no rank it's decentralized and people are coming together to talk about this. And, you know, one of the ways we, we decided to organize was, um, you know, kind of how we organize in, in the military where you've got your different shops. So you've got your, uh, you, you got your admin, you've got intelligence, you've got operations, you've got logistics, you've got future planning, uh, and, and, and things that are all, uh, within that. And, and the, the, the talk about standing up citadels and, you know, uh, I think one of the, the things that kind of sparked this in me was one of, uh, Alex's, you know, great pieces out there where he was talking about, you know, the future of how we're going to organize ourselves, whether democratically or through uh, some new age monarchy. And we, you know, the, the idea of citadels obviously didn't come from Bitcoin veterans, but I think in terms of putting it into practical, practical application and kind of seeing where we are on this scale, um, you're going to start to see more and more of these citadels pop up and you're going to see more and more of these people who can't make it, you know, go to the pod and eat the bugs. And so as these two worlds uh, start coming together, uh, you're, you're going to have a kind of a Spartan-esque, I think, type of understanding out there where, hey, we're going to develop these communities. We're going to arm these communities. We are going to be independent because, you know, I I've said it a million times, independence is a verb and that's the way we think about this kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> as this comes along, um, we expect conflict. We expect, you know, you know, we, we don't want it. We, you know, we, we are, we're saying, Hey, this is the most peaceful weapon we have. And, and, and this is a peaceful revolution, uh, from guys that have waged war, no war, know the cost, know the, 
uh, you know, the, the, the human toll on top of everything. And so, yeah, we, we definitely think um, there is tough times coming. We think there's uh, conflict. We don't know that, you know, it's going to be, you know, widespread or anything like that. It's probably going to be a little more uh, compartmentalized, which I think is what, uh, you know, moving to a sound money will do anyway, is you have, you know, you guys talked about, you know, understanding the cost of it and quantifying it. It's, it's also understanding that those conflicts, although there will be conflicts, will be much smaller, much more deliberate, um, and, and have more of an end state. So, you know, as far as we see, uh, yeah, we're, we're not only, uh, you know, thinking that this is going to be, you know, somewhat violent in some pockets, especially around, you know, po you know, densely populated areas. Uh, but it, it's going to be one of those things which we, tr we really have control of the narrative, we have the ability to withdraw from these systems, and then pull people out with us that are the right people. Uh, and, and, and really, uh, you know, get closer to that, you know, hyper Bitcoin as a hyper Bitcoin as a world, I guess, if you could say it that way, um, where, the cost of conflict is is so damn high that people see it and people understand it and people want absolutely nothing to do with it. And I think right. that's kind of where, um, you know, our group of guys sees it anyway. Yeah. Peaceful exchange might actually, you know, be worth it <laughs> as opposed yeah. to we, well, leading yourself. I guess that's the other part of it too, is like, we're, we're talking about, you know, the building bridges first, first and foremost, building bridges and, and you can't build bridges without having strong men uh, leading. And I mean, strong women too, but like strong, strong men, you, you, you have no to have these guys called strong woman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you have to have guys you know, that are tribe blockers. Yeah, not discounting women. Not, you know, that's, I just, that's I just like to throw I just like to throw misogyny just to see if the yeah. ladies are paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> you need to get those sound women. bites out so that they'll retweet you. <laughs> what are we talking about here? We're, we obviously live in uh, La La Land, but I, th I think we're uh, I think we're all tracking on the same. Uh, point where this is something you need to prepare for it's something that you need to get yourself your family your community the, the rest of those organizations ready for um and then try to be those guys that can walk between tribes and start you know saying hey listen you know this is what we're about we want peace and trade and um you know we're we're armed to the teeth so let's let's really not go that route well i, I wanted to i i know jethro wants to talk about uh elizabeth warren's bill to try and outlaw, outlaw self-custody i I'm, I'm going to take it a different angle. I, I am no longer, maybe this is my own naivete, but I am no longer really concerned about what the government does. Um, I, I know that sounds kind of crazy from a libertarian perspective that I'm not concerned about the government, but uh, I just think like whatever they do, we're going to adapt. So, I mean, as, yeah. aside from the nuclear war part, which I'm really concerned about, but the rest <laughs> of it, I'm like, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're, we'll find a way. Do you guys feel the same or, or should I be taking this more seriously? My thought is file sharing is illegal too. Right. <laughs> like, good like luck, bitch. The, honestly, the the more retarded <laughs> their laws, the more unenforceable the bullshit that they try to enforce, the more incompetent and irrelevant they look. Like, like I almost it, it, there's there's almost part of me like my node's not going anywhere. Like I'm not gonna fucking shut it off. It's behind tour already anyway. Like. <laughs> So I, I just the she's watching guy. She's watching. Sure, I don't I don't even fucking care. Stack Suck my up, dick, Liz Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> like I have no respect. I you could not you could not make less respect. Just yeah. the of the petty tyrant 
who says you're not allowed to download this piece of software that I'm going to I'm going to come and I'm going to look what you got on your computer like just motherfucker that's not this is I'm free I'm free I'm not asking your fucking permission yeah. like I don't give a fuck what you think you have nothing to do with me you know you don't owe me health care you don't owe me education you don't owe me you know a sidewalk in front of my house you don't owe me shit the one thing you owe me is the respect of my freedom is that I'm a person. That's it. That's you, it. You don't owe if me you shit, can't but do guess that, what? I don't owe I don't, you shit either. You're a bad, not, you're not just a bad politician. You're not just a petty bitch of a tyrant. You're a bad person. I wouldn't want you as a neighbor just to, like, I wouldn't want to walk by your house. Yeah. Like, you're just a disgusting human being. Uh, like, someone who in, thinks that it, that level of control, that they have say over what someone else does, just... Just guys, just suck it. I just don't care. And the practical application of this, you, you you have a bunch of guys in bullet bouncers and everything else. You know, what are we going into this house for? I, 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 <laughs> what is it? What's a note? Like, what does it even look like? Like, what are we doing here, guys? Like, we're oh, here, we're, we're here go for and... a server. You're gonna, you're not gonna see your. It's kids called a again. raspberry pie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Check the kitchen. Wait a second. <laughs> is it in the refrigerator? Is it, is it expired? I mean, at the end of the day, as a guy that used to kick in doors, man, like, I'm not doing this. Like, I mean, no, no fucking way. Oh, I'm going in there to get a, a computer, a, a node of some sort. Like, you Is guys are out of your damn mind. Well, yeah, and, and they're totally diff diffuse. <laughs> they're all over the fucking place. You got to go get thousands. Like, enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your fucking life. I, but honestly, the, the, the way I view it is the same way I view gun confiscation. Like, this is... This is kind of like a red line of red lines. Like you come into my house for this type of shit. Like I'm going to defend myself. I don't have a choice here. Yeah, like this is this is overt tyranny at that point because uh, I'm a peaceful person doing nothing wrong. Um, so you're just going to criminalize me for fucking having a server in my house? Like are you out of your mind? Find my victim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's my victim? Oh, 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 the victim's the central bank? Okay, well then uh, I'm going to tweet about that and see Aww. see how the rest of America feels because this is fucking nuts. Oh, you're uh, sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, I don't know. I, I guess I guess maybe I'm becoming even more of an anarchist, if that's possible. <laughs> Where I'm just like, I don't give a fuck what you have to say, Liz. Liz Warren, you fake Indian cunt, you. Um, I just, I just, I have no respect for these people. I don't even take them seriously anymore. It's fascinating because I used to be like really caught up in the day-to-day -day news mm -hmm. cycle of like, here's the new regulation. Here's the new this and that. Like, I, I struggle to even pay attention. I think... A good example of this is yesterday, I think actually today they passed it, was this re-up of FISA 702. <clears throat> I, do, I do take that one more seriously than, yeah. you know, Liz Warren's fucking meandering nonsense um, because it's, you know, it's a real spying uh, apparatus. But even that, I'm just like, look, you guys are tyrants. Like, I get it. But this is, this is going to unwind one way or the other. And... You guys are going to do what you're going to do. I'll continue to apply pressure where I can to try and slow you down. But ultimately, like my focus is on innovating and circumventing and and creating, uh, you know, other platforms outside of your purview. And like we're going to fucking beat you. We have we have we're we're more nimble. We're less bureaucratic. We're more innovative. We're more intelligent. We're more hardworking. We're less corrupt. We're like on on what on what planet am I going to lose to Liz Warren? Like I just don't feel like it's possible. I don't know. Well, and the Bitcoin community too. I mean, you know, you, you you named everything, and then there's the aspect that over time, these people are going to be able to redeploy capital 
in yeah, ways that they, the money. Yeah. They, yeah. like now not that's only why we, it's gunpowder man yeah not that's only why it's survival smarter, of the fittest we've got we've got more people that are flocking to us through you know consent instead of coercion and, and you've got this giant bureaucracy up there that has no idea what it's doing it's completely out of touch you're behind the times you're not a, you're not innovating you're stealing and you know at the end of the day when when we kind of boil all this down it's like you guys can't keep up and as time goes on we're going to grow more and more powerful you know it's, it's the whole thing about being anti-fragile in bitcoin right like this is you, you you gain up to whatever fight you have to have you hit that fight and then you just keep going yeah it's like it's like they're fighting us in quicksand and we're standing on concrete like you think you could yeah. like you're you think your punching power is going to match mine in the long run like no maybe you're maybe you're fucking 10 times bigger than me but you stand in quicksand i'm on fucking yeah. concrete bitch like yeah, let's yeah. go <laughs> so. it's, a, it's a yeah it's a, it's a shrinking it's a shrinking um uh platform that they have you know right. and they're sort of like and, and i mean that that's that's where you get the the lashing out right is you 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 start to get desperate so you yeah. you lash out at things their time know? is limited correct got, you know and and yeah and and that's that's one of the things like you know there's a lot of uh people who you know naively i think they come to bitcoin and they're like oh you know we need to do we need to add this and that to bitcoin you know we need to innovate on bitcoin we need to add layers to bitcoin you know if we don't we're going to lose it's like no you know what like the only thing bitcoin needs to do is absolutely fucking nothing and just sit there and do the same thing that's done for the last 15 years and just like continue just providing a promise of fixed supply you can't tell me what i can do with it where i can send it and you know that's it and and so so long as bitcoin just does fucking that doesn't need doesn't need to do anything else uh it wins because like in, in my mind I talk about this in this new essay. I say like, th there's a reason why um, gold carries, like gold has gravitas, you know, and as much as, you know, Bitcoin is and stuff like that, laugh at gold and this and that, like, you know, N N Nietzsche sort of said that our modern instincts, the instincts of the man today is um, an echo of the habits of our ancestors, right? And, you know, we have an instinct. I mean, when you hold, fucking a kilo or five kilos of something of gold right like there's, there's like some gravity there's a charge there's like a weight there like go, I, I i tell people go pick up another metal and then just go pick up some gold and you'll see the difference there's like a there's like a almost like an awe around it and that's because over like it is almost embedded in us genetically to perceive gold as something that uh, represents value and has sort of become synonymous with the idea or concept of value, right? It doesn't Bitcoin, even have to be gold. Just pick up a silver ounce. You're like, you're like, that's something. There's something exactly to this. even silver, exactly. So and and just gold is just that much more, right? Mm -hmm. Bitcoin will Bitcoin will carry that same weight and charge purely by virtue of having been around long enough. And this is this sort of ties back to what I mentioned earlier about the generational stuff is that, you know, the, the only downside, the only the only weakness Bitcoin has is its its age. That's it. You know, and and once Bitcoin has like stayed around a couple generations, like you, you think about it, kids that were born post 2009 can't conceive of a world before Bitcoin. And then when their kids are born in 2029, the, the, you know the, the the concept of a world without something like this 
it's just going to be completely foreign to them. It's not going to be like us. You know, we've got one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world. And, you know, we, we you know, some of us have managed to kind of, you know, have the capacity to shift the paradigm in our brains, you know, and start to understand, you know, the Bitcoin is sort of paradigmatically different. But people who are just born in this new paradigm, it's not going to be a discussion. You can't fucking tell someone who has, you know, been born after Bitcoin that, you know, Bitcoin is not real. Like, it, it's there. And, and, and this ties back into the time thing. It's like, you know, Liz Warren's going to be dead in a couple of years, five years, whatever. I don't know how old the bitch is, but, you know, you know she's, probably, she's probably eating seed oils. She ain't going to fucking make it, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, the thing is, <laughs> Bitcoin's going to outlive Warren and it's going to outlive these other fucking, you know, wheelchair um, politicians. And I think she drinks a lot of fire water. What the fuck is firewater? It's a, it's a Native American joke. That's what they call okay, it. Okay, okay, Go okay. Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, yeah, we 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 just win because you know, as you sort of said, they're on quicksand. But like, I think the you know the, the framing I've always thought of is that they're on a shrinking platform, and we're just on a growing platform. We, we just need to like you just need to play the game and just put yourself in a position where time is on your side because fundamentally, time is on our side. Time is not on their side. And, you know, they're, they're just desperate, petty losers and we're just better. Fuck you. Like it's the, it's the Chad hominem argument. Like it's not, it's no longer about like, seriously, it's like, you know, you, you, you go up and you start to rationalize and then you just realize it's like, no, you're ugly, you're fat, you're a loser, you're a turd, you're a lizard and fuck you. That's like, that's Yo, why I win. I am stealing Chad hominem. That is fucking Please. great. Please. <laughs> Guy, it seemed like you had something to say, man. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple of points actually is uh, to expand on that whole theory. Uh, Alex Fetzky has a really good piece actually. It's read seven of four. It's called the three generations theory, and it's basically that that whole thing like laid out really good. Uh, highly recommended. I'll I'll send you the link if you want. Sure. Um, but uh, um, on the notion of conflict and how Bitcoin alters that is. At the end of the day, conflict exists entirely in the social space. And the sp social space exists within an environment. And the environment dictates the rules. The entirety of the, the core problem, the real problems that can actually be solved are 100% technological. The, there, you'll never get rid of conflict because it's, it's necessary in the social space. It, it is a consequence of social evolution. So if you if if you you're thinking that there's going to be a world without conflict, you're thinking about a world without people. End of story. So what the point is we to just change, have to ban the guns, guy. We just have know. to ban the guns. <laughs> the point is to alter the scaling reward to properly price the conflict. Fiat misallocates towards greater conflict. It allows and you know on the concept of like borrowed time or it's uh, on the context of like, we have more time. It's a perfect example, actually, because to literally to leverage yourself, fiat is leveraging yourself, right? It's printing money, going into debt, whatever it is, what you're doing is you're borrowing time. So they have more quote unquote time because they have access to more capital, but it is explicitly borrowed. It is time that they're going to lose. So that's that's why in the, the context between like the two countries that fight, you have to win the war or it's all, you just, you just killed everything. And so in this sense, 
what the technology does is it alters the environment such that the conflict is properly priced. The cost is visible and the cost is actually born so that you can understand the value and the cost of that conflict, which means it doesn't scale. What Shane was talking about is that it simply doesn't grow into this giant centralized thing that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes, it just, this, this conflict consumes everything. This World War One, World War Two, World War Three sort of scenario. You think about it, what World War One and, and Broken Money, I think, does a great job. That book does a wonderful job of laying out, and she doesn't even like like really hit it, but the way she explains it, it's almost like, no, yeah, that's exactly what it was. World War One and World War Two were the breakdown of the sound money standard. That's what they were. It was the wow. fall of losing... Uh, losing the gold standard and the birth of the fiat standard. What you had to do is you had to fiat yourself to a dominant violent regime that had to scale higher and higher until you had one that was big enough, that was conquered enough, that was, that was successful enough to become the overarching new rule set because the rule set had to be enforced violently because there was no other assurance. There was no other way to do it. Well, that's so, a really profound point. So what you end up in, so what that means, if you, if you take that view, if you, if you look at that across history, is the entire problem is technological. What you need to do is alter the environment. You know, you can, you can always fly around and shoot each other, but if you can fucking change gravity, you've altered everything. Mm. It doesn't matter what's happening in the social, uh, social world if the, if the structure of the battlefield field has been fundamentally altered to right. exist in a new place. That is what Bitcoin does. And so what you need is bandwidth around the central control. What Twitter and social media and, and even Facebook, like all of these things have done, what they have done is they've given technological bandwidth, informational bandwidth around centralized communication channels. Like even in the CTIL files, they explicitly stated, they explicitly stated this wasn't a problem Went because the government had control over the narrative when it was just the broadcasting companies, when it was just ABC, CBS. Like they, they said that. They said that it, this was great when we controlled the whole thing and there wasn't an avenue of bandwidth to get around it. If you ever wanted to reach a million people, there was no other way. You couldn't, yep. you couldn't snail mail a, a, you know, a newsletter to a million, a million people to get a. Pa Pamela thing. Anderson and Tommy Lee's porn almost did it. Like, <laughs> close. <laughs> close um <laughs> people but, were buying that vhs like a motherfucker <laughs> but it was establishment channels explicitly and alternative avenues were non-existent right. social media completely altered the movement of that communication of that same information. way bitcoin did yep same way bitcoin does our the solution to all of this is to just change the environment alter the technological environment and all of it changes the social the social wind will just blow because for the same reason that the everything's going to change if the gravity gets stronger if the gravity changes it doesn't matter the whole base just shifts to a new place bitcoin noster hole punch like like these encrypted protocols the decentralized peer-to-peer -peer protocols the the federated protocol social media the the decentralized monetary like assurances and monetary network, all of that, that's, that's the solution. Yeah. The, the either, future is just, you just have to download it. Yeah. That's it. The, this ties back into what we discussed earlier about like adaptability, right? We either adapt to this or we adapt to the pods and the bugs and the, um, and the subscription <laughs> jabs. 
It's, it's literally one of the two. And this is actually also why I think uh, civilization is going to bifurcate because you'll have some people choose to adapt to what Guy just outlined and many others choose to adapt to UBI, uh, subscription, jab, bugs, Man. and all of that shit. And you, you're going to have, you're going to have two different types of people. Honestly, I actually think we're going to, the human species is, we basically do. We've got the early elements, but I think, you know, a couple hundred years from now, we're going to have Homo hystericus and Homo baconicus. And like, <laughs> you've got these two. Dude, you are a wordsmith. I love it. <laughs> My job. <laughs> but you're coining some, some genius shit that I'm going to absolutely steal. So, um, Please well, do. here, uh, I want to, well, sorry, what was that? I was going to say on that technological front um, that the guy is talking about too is I, I, because technology has already changed the game and people are you know now struggling to catch up to where we're at. Um, one of the, the most beautiful pieces in uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu is building your enemy a golden bridge of retreat. Um, and Bitcoin is the golden bridge of retreat or orange bridge of retreat, whatever you want to say. Um, for, it's golden. For anybody out there, it's, it is a, it's a pressure release, right? And so... As as things begin to you know come into conflict in in this fight for you know pods or freedom, you're going to have you know the people that are on the, the pod side, whether they want to be there or are there because they they're incentivized to be there still. Is now you're you're saying, hey, listen, guys, if you have this golden bridge of retreat that we've built technologically for you, it is open anytime you're ready to walk across it. And I think that's you know one of the things that gets overlooked a lot because. You know, when when there's the other side that's like, well, you can either do this or you can perish at, you know, under the sword. And so you, you start to see this and you start to go, you know, hey, listen, if I don't want to do this, then we, we're going to have defectors and we're going to have defectors that make it very easily across that bridge. And because Bitcoin's set up on the incentive system that it is this positive structure where if you're in it, you need to protect the system. You're going to have that grow and grow and grow consensually versus this, you know, other paradigm where it's force and coercion, it's dark, it's it's you know the, the, a, a hellscape on earth, honestly. And th th I think that's the, one of the, the big, great pieces that Bitcoin, you know, maybe got right that it didn't even plan on getting right is that golden bridge of retreat for your enemy. Well, I think what's the the connection I I draw with that is like the the cancel culture where. You can either continue to nerf your mind and not say anything that might run afoul of the mob, or you can just be like, I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm going to say some wild shit. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to exit this fear cycle. And, and on the, on the other side of that, there's going to be this other ecosystem that I'm going to have to, it's going to take me a while to adapt to. I'm going to have to make new friends. I'm going to lose some you know, family members and shit like that. But it's like, it's like, why would you want to spend the rest of your life fucking biting your tongue and being afraid, you know? And I kind of feel like that's the same escape hatch that Bitcoin offers. It's like, I'm going to take the based path. I'm going to take the Bitcoin path. I'm going to take all, like, I'm just going to take the path that is more fun and more free and it, it's it's like it's not even for for someone like me it's not even a fucking debate it's like this is a given of course i'm gonna say something fucked up so that you cancel me so i can go and live freely and not mm -hmm. fear the sword of damocles hanging over me fuck that i would i would never want to live like that and i think more and more people are feeling that way and as as the 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 rules of the woke change more and more people are going okay this is untenable like i can't do this for the rest of my life and i think that's the same way with fiat it's like 
this is untenable. I can't like I'm I'm starving. I can't fucking. I'm never gonna buy a house. Like uh, so, I'm not. I'm just gonna continue to fucking languish under this system, or am I gonna exit? And I think that that's that's the answer. Is that more and more people exit? And and just to kind of round us out here, I, I know we're running out on time. Um, you know, with with El Salvador, with the election of uh, why am I blanking on his name? Argentina. Millet. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the Elon bringing Alex Jones back with there's there's lots of uh, I guess green shoots would be a way to describe it. Uh, it does feel as if there there we may be at an inflection point where more and more people are taking that path I just described of like fuck it, <laughs> I'm not gonna play by these these like totalitarian rules. It's really it's not a fun way to live. Um, I'm feeling as if like I'm feeling optimistic for like I, I was in a very dark place in 2020 through 21. I really felt like this is this is just so painful and 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 I'm feeling like like maybe we are on on a, an upswing at this point. And I'm just my go around the panel. Yeah, my my final comments um because I've got to run for a, for a call is I just want to echo exactly what you just said. I was on a spaces uh, about a week or two ago uh, around the time that Millet won. Um I I have felt also a palpable shift. Um that there is there is a there is a there is a seeming difference, and and this is this is not a justification. All oh, the masses have woken up. No, no, no. There, there is a there is a there is some sort of shift in the energy. Um, I'm I'm seeing it. I'm sensing it. My fucking spidey sense is going off. Um, you know, there's other groups that I'm in. I'm in a bunch of you know strange dissident groups, and you know we are all having discussions about you know 50 men going in and taking like uh, a place and like starting to sort of like. The age of, uh, you know, the age of based conquering will come back, and you know, for, for me in particular, like when I when I was young, and this is something I haven't spoken about uh, too publicly, but I'm starting to slowly, slowly speak about it publicly. Um, is my, my uncle was um, was sort of involved in Macedonian politics. He wanted me to be the president of Macedonia, and like his whole idea was to go in there, bomb bomb the government, and take over the country, right? And you know that that was his whole thing. It's like they're a bunch of parasites, they're pieces of shit. There's no other fucking option. We go, we blow up the fucking all the buildings, and we take over. I think I and, now you understand know, why you are the way you are. Yes. <laughs> um, so so you know anyway, I you know he, he and I he was more like a father figure to me and then we just had sort of like a falling out and i went down the path of like building businesses and doing all sorts of shit and you know my life took a completely different trajectory but the the seed the seeds that were planted in that uh era somehow seemed to be sprouting for me again in the sense that i've seen what bukele did in um in Salvador. um and then what i've just seen with Millet uh in the last you know six to twelve months that i've sort of been following him has inspired me once again, like mark my fucking words, by the end of this decade, I'm gonna go in and take over Macedonia. And I wanna turn the fucking place into uh, you know, a country as a service, like literally like turn it into oh, yeah. a citadel and a city state. And the fact that I'm starting to think this and the fact that I've mentioned this to a couple people um, and they have been receptive to the idea, um, for me, at least in my little bubble, tells me that there's a, there's a shift there's a there's a there's a change and like you're seeing things like fucking mcgregor in ireland like you know the, seriously like the the days of the the i mean you know bukele again i'll use him as an example in his uh bio on twitter it's philosopher king like the the meme is starting to come to life and i think there is a there is a palpable shift there is something 
uh, changing. There's something on the horizon, and I'm fucking here for this new energy. Like, this is this is exactly what we need, and it's it's a it is a energy of conquest once again. I think this is the biggest thing that the libertarian movement got wrong. It's always been a defensive energy. This is an energy of attack and take back. And you know, Shane, you'll you'll appreciate this. Is like you you can't win from a place of defense you have to win from a place of conquest you need to you need to be on the front foot not like this is why i've never like fucking seasteading and all of this sort of shit it's like oh let's go out on the fucking retreat you know, the, retreat exactly retreat does not fucking work you have to go forward and you have to claim these places back and i think that's exactly what we're going to do in the coming um in the coming decades uh, i love it for well, sure. we'll let uh, shane and then guy go but i know svetsky's got to run so tell people where they can follow you man before you hop out uh svetsky writes on twitter um just my link trees on there jump on there and have a look um there's this new article that i wrote called uber money which is a nietzschean look at bitcoin i think it's the first article of its kind um i think people love it if you liked this conversation but brother clint thank you so much for putting this on love you shane I, I always good to see you bro guy Later, i'm gonna i'm gonna be moving to macedonia here soon bro Talk Fuck yes. <laughs> shane, shane go for it yo i was gonna say appalachian stand is a, a next uh real pickup here in north georgia we've we've started the citadel things are happening Hell yeah. uh man uh clint and, and guy and, and alex if you ever listen to this part which probably never won't but uh really great to hang out with you appreciate the platform clint and um you know to, to be in this class to to say you know some of the things that we've said, I think, is uh, gonna it's gonna age well for for one thing. Um, these days, I'm, I'm I'm putting a lot of heart and soul into uh, this project, Bitcoin Veterans. It's a it's a new podcast. It is also now a movement uh, across the United States, and it's not just for veterans. Uh, we've got a civilian division that we're standing up. Um, these are people that are absolutely action oriented with a wide variety of skill sets that you know they've seen and uh, and really probably a, a larger variety of, of ex real world experience on terms of how to do just what we've been talking about this entire time. Um, and we stood it up because we think Bitcoin is freedom. I mean, we think it's liberty. We think this is the, the exit point for anybody that was a, you know, duped into the idea that, you know, America was this place for freedom and justice and sovereignty, you know, what we were told in the indoctrination centers. And you know, a lot of guys came back and they were dejected. They were nihilistic to the nth degree, you know, total black pill. And this is turning it around. It's turned it around for me. Uh, it's, I think it's turned it around for a bunch of guys. And, you know, what we talk about is, you know, getting on the mission. You know, you get off zero, get on the mission and uh, and give your life some purpose again. If, if you're if you're out there and you're struggling, uh, whether you're a veteran or a civilian, doesn't matter to us, man. If you want to find a group of people who are action oriented, who have begun healing as a culture, who are, who are now laser focused on where we're going as a species for the future and what you can do, how you can add and be a, a real uh, service to this movement, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, you can reach me at shane.hazel at swanbitcoin.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us through Bitcoin Veterans uh, across Twitter, uh, YouTube, and the rest of it. And, you know, we are recruiting like hell right now. And I'll got to tell you, um, the the power and the energy that's behind this. And now the the, re, uh, the the redeployment of capital because of what's going on in the Bitcoin space in terms of, you know, venture capitalists and things like that are behind a lot of what we're doing, whether it's the Skillshare, uh, the Brave uh, Post-Traumatic Stress Mission, the fact that we're standing up all sorts of 
uh, security apparatuses, comms, uh, and, and logistics for you know everything that we need to do in this space. This is this is a massive movement uh, that's just getting started. It's only six months old, and uh, I got to tell you, you know, we're we're holding on for dear life. You know, kind of white knuckling this thing like you grab the stallion out in the middle of a you know the 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 plains, and you really didn't know what you're getting into, but uh, just trying to kind of guide it along the way. That's the best we can do. But yeah, again, thanks, Clinton uh, guy. Great to see you. Hell yeah, man. Uh, this is uh, no no accident here. I, I wanted to end with my favorite part of Bitcoin Audible, which is guys take. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Shane, good hanging out, man. It's it's been too long. We need to catch up sometime. Uh, but uh, so one of the things now that Svetsy's gone, I want to disagree with one of the things he says. Um, <laughs> no, one of the things at the end he talked about is that we're going to bifurcate, and and he's he's right. I technically I am agreeing with him will be homo hystericus and homo bitcoinicus. But remember the, the fact that homo bitcoinicus is actually going to be a thing and its feedback is going to be positive. Homo hystericus is, is going to be necessarily negative. Every, every point of growth in homo bitcoinicus is going to be a point of fall, of, of collapse in homo hystericus. Survival and of the fittest once again. It doesn't take long before that one just, I mean, survival of the fittest, it just, it just goes extinct. It just goes extinct. So when we get back to the idea, actually, one of the things that the thing that Vivek said is actually a really great example is what's happening in the fiat world, what's happening in the political realm is they are trying to deny economic reality. So whether or not it's China trying to take over everything, the fact that those oil projects are still going on, it doesn't even have to be concerned. It doesn't have to be a conspiracy. It doesn't have to be an explicit effort by BlackRock to undermine this thing because it would happen either way. Because what they're doing is they're trying to force a market price that's not the real market price. It's the same thing they do with debt. So somebody's going to buy it up because energy is still valuable. Like it's not going to stop because it necessarily can't. The market wins at the end of the day. The real price is going to be the price that gets paid for it. That's the whole problem with fiat. Another thing out of uh, the fiat standard and broken money both break these down amazingly well is the fact that necessarily as the world reserve currency, if we are exporting paper, what it means is that we are exchanging our manufacturing, our capital, our asset base. We are selling it off to foreign bidders for cheap shit, for end products. Like that's, that's explicitly the cycle of exporting paper. We're importing products and we're exporting real capital. So it doesn't matter what is on the surface, what, what the little pieces of it or the social or the rules or the laws or whatever it is that's mispricing these things. It's fundamentally, whether it's a conspiracy that they were trying to undermine it to buy it, our deficit is doing that anyway. Every new tr trillion dollars in deficit is an exporting of capital in the exchange of end products of just cheap crap that's going to eventually break and we'll have to replace. That is the process of fiat. End of story. Which means fundamentally the only... We have, to, we have to change the technological environment. The only thing we can do is shift the battlefield. We're, we're not going to win. In fact, actually, the, the fact that the social momentum is shifting, that the cultural momentum is shifting, at the same time that the technological shift is catching another wave of momentum is actually nuts. It's actually kind of a, a little bit serendipitous that these things are aligning. And when these things align, it's going to it's going to speed up in an incredible way. And AI, 
man, AI, like people are always worried, are worried about like artificial general intelligence taking over everything. No, I think it's a decentralizing force. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's going to empower so many people at the bottom. We're going to have a million new people that aren't even programmers making programs, making developers. I just read a piece on AI Unchained of a seasoned programmer, somebody who's been doing this for 30 years, who literally just wrote an article in, that over the past year, he went from thinking it was going to be absolutely critically necessary to teach his kids to code to they may never know what it's like to code, that it might completely be completely irrelevant. He, he said it in the context that like, I feel like, like writing, I need to be writing a eulogy for what I do. It's like writing cursive. <laughs> it's, right, it's like writing cursive. Yeah. Um, so our entire goal or our, our entire mission should be to adopt the technology that, in, that simply exposes the bandwidth to get around the problem. Another communication bandwidth outside of the centralized platforms. It's great what Elon did to Twitter to open it up, to basically reveal the censorship industrial complex, but it's still centralized. It's still going to be vulnerable to the same thing, whether it gets, you know, you know, it just gets blacklisted into oblivion and then it collapses and gets taken over again, or the government just comes in and just says, by the way, you're going to do this again. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's centralized. All we got to see was a window. Right. We got to see and that was what Elon did, is he exposed the fact that all the conspiracies were not conspiracies. But it, um, but it, it gave us clarity on the battlefield, and that's very clarity. important. Yeah, yeah it, it, it got rid of the fog for a little bit. Um, and which means that really the solution is, is Noster. It's a social media protocol. The solution is chat apps without censorship. It's, it's Keat and Hole Punch. And, and these things work. They work. They're just new. They're just beta. And... If we can fundamentally alter the playing field, imagine if the Revolutionary War could have been won by just everyone learning how to use like five or six tools to get around the problem of the British taxes, of the British control, the British manipulation of the narrative. I think that's where we are. I think we have a bigger opportunity than we have ever had because the technological environment is changing so unbelievably rapidly that... All we have to do is keep up with that and figure out how to use that. And the political, the political system will become irrelevant all by itself. It's all on borrowed, borrowed capital. The one thing that we have to do is divest. What we are doing right now, every dollar that we hold in dollars, every unit of value that we hold in fiat is us literally pushing the carriage. It is literally putting your labor towards the mechanism that they confiscate it. It's, it is the explicit pushing of the carriage that is rolling over you. Just get out from behind the carriage. <laughs> Just stop pushing it. I, I, know it's, I know it's easy to complain about the sore legs and the fact that we just push and push all the time and we don't get what we want out of it. Stop pushing it. Every bit of value. Freedom is volatile, man. If think about it, if we can achieve freedom just by accepting the short-term volatility of Bitcoin, holy God, we just we have a golden platter of the easiest way out of this fucking shit as we have ever had in the history of mankind. Like, we're gonna keep our legs. We're gonna keep our legs. We can do this without like just getting blown to smithereens. We can divest from the capital structure that enforces their violence. Do it. Guy, guy just Learned. offered. Guy, guy just offered a uh, 
an exit pathway for Sisyphus. <laughs> That's very, very kind of you. Um, look, I just wanted to to thank you guys again and, and, you know, kind of end by saying we just talked about Bitcoin for two hours and I did not mention the fiat price. I just wanted to point that out. I, it's not, it's not relevant. Like, I, I think this, this goes Short to show, noise. yeah, it goes to show my evolution and in, in how I view Bitcoin. Because uh, I remember the first time I had Guy on, I was just like, price, 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 <laughs> price, price, price. And I'm like, no, I don't even give a fuck, man. It's Revolution. Not, that's, yeah, yeah, that's not the point, man. Um, and I think that, that the, the longer you participate in this thought process, you know, not even the movement per se, but just the thought process, it's, it's really an internal process where you just mold this over you mold these concepts over over and over again and you it just the the conclusions become self-evident almost and and the the intermediate price movements become almost irrelevant and for me totally irrelevant i don't even consider it anymore um so i i think that that is uh, just a sign of kind of how how i've evolved and i hope my audience is is you know coming along on that journey with me and uh and you guys have both played a, a huge role in that so i want to thank you again for coming on uh bitcoin audible for for guy obviously at at liberty lockpot on x for me and uh uh is it radical shane it's radical right yep. yeah. yeah got it all right we're we're out of here folks please do uh share this around if be, especially for your black pilled friends for the love of god if you listen to this one and come away uh, less optimistic, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. So share share it with some of your black-pilled friends and uh, hit that like button, leave a comment, all the good things. Uh, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you guys uh, tomorrow, actually. I'm going to be doing a deep dive on the Las Vegas shooting. Don't miss it. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?